This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Vackra, snälla, bra Carlson. Yes, welcome everybody! To the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys own Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I am your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and with me, as always, is the maestro of the matchup, the player projection pundit, the course, the authority, the ad drop ace, the IPP MVP, Brian Com. Hello, Elon. Hello, everybody. So excited to be here for another episode where I promise we are not going to spend the first 40 minutes talking about the Avalanche, but there are a lot of questions about them and so many other players and teams, and we will get to all of it in our weekly amazing Keeping Carlson mega show. Let's get to it! Yeah, hopefully everyone's been enjoying our other shows during the week, the short shifts with Ben and Lewis. I've really been enjoying them. They've been crushing it. It gives us the flexibility to not have to talk about like every little thing that happens. Like, for example, there were a couple injuries yesterday that we don't know the extent yet. Like, we don't know how long Connecting will be out. So, you know what? We won't, we won't speculate about the Philadelphia lines. We'll get to that on the short shifts on Wednesday. But in the meantime, like Brian said, we have a ton to talk about. Yeah, a lot on Colorado to start the show. Before we get to that, of course, let's mention that we are presented by DauberHockey.com, the top fantasy hockey website in the world. We actually have a nice other connection with them, which is Ben Burnett from The Short Shifts writes an article on Dauber Hockey every week called The Geek of the Week. And his one this week is called Wake Me Up Before You Goudreau, or I guess Wake Me Up Before You Goudreau, if I want to uh, go with the song Tambor. What, what's that term for like you're going with how the song goes? Cadence. The cadence. Yes, exactly. You should know this from your rhythm and flow marathoning. Uh, they didn't mention that. They talked a lot about like stage presence and having good uh, words, though there was another term they used for having good words. But anyways, okay, we got to focus, Brian. But yeah, Dauber Hockey, you got great articles like that. Your pen. Okay. Uh, Looking into this article, looks into what's going on with the Flames, specifically Gaudreau. We'll actually talk about them a little bit in this show. Uh, You've also got your tools over at Frozen Tools, probably my number one website that I use. The starting goalies, the line combinations, I'm there all the time. Player profiles, DauberHockey.com. Okay, but Brian, let's get started. And like I said, I want to start in Colorado, just like last week's show, actually, where we started the show talking about Rantanen coming back. This week, we've got another big name. Gabriel Landeskog is finally back for the Avalanche. Also, Andre Burakovsky returned to the lineup last week, but perhaps whoever wished for their quick recovery was using a monkey's paw because the Avs lost some key players last week in exchange. Nazem Kadri has missed two games with a lower body injury. We still don't have details on the severity of that yet. Uh, then just yesterday, Grubauer 
Bauer left the game versus Boston near the end of the first. He did come back in the second to back up Pavel Francouz, like uh, Grubauer was on the bench. So we still haven't heard if there's anything serious going on with Grubauer. Then near the end of the game, Kale McCarr left after taking a hit from Brad Marchand. We also don't know the severity of that. So, of course, there's lots of uncertainty here. And again, thank goodness for the short shifts and they could dig into things more when we know more about the severity of these injuries. But let's give a quick breakdown of the things that we do know. First of all, Gabriel Landeskog has scored in each of his two games since returning right back to the top line with McKinnon and Ranton. And we were wondering if maybe Landeskog would go on the second line, spread things around. Nope. Landeskog, McKinnon, Ranton in the top line in hockey, probably back together. So that did bump Yunus Donskoy to the second line, where he was playing with JT Comfer, who's in place of Kadri, and Burakovsky. Donskoy did hold his power play one spot. Last week, we talked about Donskoy. We called him like a must-add after that great two-goal, two-assist game and spot on the McKinnon line. Now, Donskoy's off that top line, but still on the top power play. And his two assists yesterday brought him to three points in his last three games since our last show. So I think, Brian, we could give each other a high five for recommending for everyone to grab Donskoy. That would have been a good pickup. But now, of course, the question is, do you still consider him the same must-add that we thought of him as last week when he was on that top line with McKinnon and Rantanen? Because there is a little bit to be concerned about. He has no shots in each of his last two games, even though he's getting a couple assists. Are you still fully into Donskoy like you were last week, or would you be looking to move on soon? And also, I should mention before I throw to you, there have been some rumors about Taylor Hall potentially going to the Avalanche as soon as like Christmas, which would be like just in a couple of weeks. So I'd be curious to know also if that changes anything in your mind, or if you just want to ignore that for now. Okay, I'm going to start with the first question about Donskoy, where you're asking, is he still someone people need to add? And at this point, time last week on the episode we were like okay what happens when landis god comes back to the abs try and spread out their offense and keep don's going on the top line and i was hoping to have an answer by now but we don't because we don't know what the abs are going to do when both nazim kadri and gabriel landis are both in the lineup there were ships passing in the night right landis returned the night kadri missed his first game due to this injury he's had. So it remains unknown what the plan is when Colorado does ice a healthy top six or even when they'll ice a healthy top six because we still don't really have many details on what's up with Kadri. But for as long as Kadri is out, to answer your question, Elon, I'm actually... Well, actually, this isn't an answer because I'm going to say I'm not sure whether to be a little less or a little more into Donskoy. The two ways this could play out is, you know, does God, does Kadri's absence make the Avs want to try and compensate for their loss in secondary scoring by tossing one of their big three players onto the second line and leave Donskoy up on the top line? Or does it make the Avs feel like just giving up completely on the idea of hoping for secondary scoring and just keeping that top line super stacked to get them through until Kadri comes back to any anchor their second line and the early returns show that the abs are favoring the latter option stacking that top line which does not help donskoy of course but if they do flip to the other choice which is uh trying to move a big three onto the second line that would of course help donskoy so those are the scenarios this week that we're watching to see how the avalanche manage their depth chart with this constantly rotating set of injuries in the meantime, without knowing how they're going to do that, I'm into Donskoy still as a good guy to have in a depth spot on your roster, but not the must, must, must have that he was last week. Right, and he still is on this top power play for now. And it's not like one of these guys that's on a top power play that 
doesn't do anything, you know, like in Boston, where if you're not Marchand or Pasternak or Bergeron, you're probably not getting power play points anyways, or Krug. You know what I'm talking about? Like, like Donsko has been getting in on power play points. I like him for now. Also, Colorado has a great schedule next week. They go Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and it's another one of those weeks where Tuesday and Saturday especially are very busy days. So if you have Donskoy or if he's somehow available, yeah, grab him or hold him for next week. And then I guess we could reassess. We could talk about the avalanche to start next week's episode as well. Uh, okay, so then we've got Burakovsky. Nothing in his return versus Montreal. He did score versus Boston yesterday on his only shot. He does have 22 points in 26 games now, which is pretty wild for Burakovsky. But now he's on the second line and the second power play. So what are you expecting now with the forward core healthy for the most part, aside from Kadri? Like, and, you know, like is Burakovsky someone who you think could keep up this crazy pace? Or is he like for sure going to slow down and now is a big sell high time if you can get something really good for him? When Landeskog and Rantanen were both out, Burakovsky enjoyed this 12-game run on the top power play unit. And during that run, Burakovsky netted five power play points. Uh, so that helped him get up to his totals where he's at now. Burakovsky also had a five-game stretch during which he picked up nine points in five games, thanks largely to scoring six times on 14 shots, plus a pair of those power play assists that he'd been collecting. So 22 points in 26 games, so awesome and great for Andre Burakovsky, but it came from deployment and shooting success that I don't expect will last. So this is a good sell-high moment if you can somehow pull it off for Andre Burakovsky, convince someone that he's going to be an above-average secondary scorer, because I'm not sure that's what's in the cards for him the rest of the way when the whole Avs lineup is healthy. Yeah, that makes sense. Obviously, if you have him, maybe hold for next week, like I said, because of the good schedule. In fact, maybe you even want to add some other Avs. Like I said, JT Comfer currently centering the second line. So, you know, if you're in a deep enough league where someone like Comfer, like let's say if he gives you two points in those three games, if that's worthwhile to you, then take a look. Because like I said, you're not going to be able to fit a lot of other people that you want to stream into your lineup for all of their games. Uh, Then, of course, we don't know anything about how severe the injury is to Kale McCarr. Hopefully it's nothing big. If he is out, it would be Sam Girard helming the top power play in his stead. And you may recall Girard did take some turns on the top power play early in the season. And he didn't really have much success. He was there, but he wasn't getting any points. Like Colorado was still scoring power play goals. It just was Girard not getting in on them. So Brian, let's say news comes out tomorrow that Makar's out for like a month. Would we recommend, to, and I, I don't want to put bad juju in the air. I hope that doesn't happen. But just let's just say by the time people are listening to this, there is news that Makar is out for a while. Is Girard someone you have to rush to grab just because he's quarterback in the top power play? Or do you think it would be the kind of thing where he's probably not going to get you too many points, maybe like a point every couple of games? Because he's really a tough hold otherwise, right? He doesn't get you peripherals. He doesn't take shots. So you would really just be banking on Girard to get you a ton of power play assists. Do you think he's up for the task? You know I love Sam Girard, and I will jump onto that caveat you offered that we always offer for Sam Girard, that he's a points or bust type guy. He's not a regular shot taker, hit maker, or block doer. (laughs) Having one more rhyming word would have really worked well there. Uh, But Gerard, we've seen him already quarterback the top power play unit about five times this season. He had just a single point across those opportunities. And when I say five times, I mean five games, not like five shifts. Um, So that's not a great track record to be running off of if he does step in from a car, but it doesn't deter me at all. If you're on that Avs top power play and you're as skilled as Sam Gerard, you're going to get points there. So if Makar is out for any length of time, go get Gerard. 
Wow. Okay, so Brian, I'm going to name another Avs defenseman that's intriguing to me right now, and then you'll be able to answer for me which one you'd prefer. By the way, you wanted an extra word. How about shot taker, hit maker, and block acre? Because you ache after <laughs> blocking a shot. Does that work? Okay. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, so there's another defenseman on Colorado that's actually doing something, unlike Sam Girard, and that's this guy named Ryan Graves. He's 24 years old, and he has four points in his last six games, but more noteworthy are huge hit taking and block aching and shot taking plus <laughs> no this can't become a thing okay fine he also for people whose leagues count it like he's getting you pims he has good plus minus numbers like ryan graves is producing all across the score sheet uh he's probably jumped to the top of the ranks in most bangers leagues if you sort by like the last 14 days or maybe even last 30 days like this guy is very useful to you so if you are in a bangers league and it does turn out that Makar is out. I wonder if, while well, everyone's going to be rushing and blowing their fab for Sam Girard, maybe it's just smarter to grab Ryan Graves, who's going to be more reliable for just general production. So what do you think of Ryan Graves? Who the heck even is Ryan Graves? And yeah, do you think what he's doing, at least in terms of the peripherals, do you think that's sustainable? Who is Ryan Graves? Well, first off, no relation to Adam that I could find, but he does have something in common with Adam in that he was uh, part of the New York Rangers organization, a fourth round pick back in 2013. But he's no spring chicken anymore. Graves is now 24 years old in his fifth pro season, and he's with Colorado after they acquired him last February, um, and they acquired him after he'd spent three full seasons with AHL Hartford, never cracking the Rangers lineup. And in Graves' AHL career, he's never put up big numbers. 77 points in 260 games. So that's like one point every three games or so, and career high of 30 points in an AHL season. He was also never even a big scorer in junior, playing in the QMJHL. And if you're not a big scorer there, where can you be a big scorer? But the good news for Ryan Graves owners who like him for his peripherals is that there is precedent for those peripherals. When he came to the NHL, as DauberProspects.com has mentioned, you can expect those hits and blocks to be part of his game. So I see Graves as maybe someone who could try and be like a a Shemek or a Gudas or Goligoski type, or maybe a Dmitry Orlov, someone, or Michael Kempney, like someone who has handy peripherals with the odd chance at a point because he will be on the ice with some talented players and a highly offensive team. Uh, it's also nice, by the way, that Ryan Graves, you know, I've been poo-pooing his uh, offensive ability, but 14 shots in his last six games, that has helped with the scoring side of things for him, but I'm not sure it's something you should count on lasting. So the, the Coles notes here, TLDR, Ryan Graves, good for peripherals. Don't count on the scoring to really be meaningful the rest of the way. Okay, fair enough. But now if I'm looking at, let's say, the Kakuffle, the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patriot Fantasy League, it's a points league. We count five, or no, 4.5 for a goal, half a point for a shot, then three for an assist, and then also some points for hits and blocks. I'm seeing Ryan Graves is averaging 3.63 points per game on the season. It's a lot higher lately. Sam Girard, I have to scroll, 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 2.65. So like one whole couple point less on the season. So let's say, again, the news comes out, Makar's hurt. Who do you want more in the Kakuffle between Graves and Girard? Are you going for the big upside? of power play points or are you going for the solid peripherals this is a floor ceiling question right do you want graves who's going to get you that solid floor of peripherals and maybe an extra point or do you want this super talented offensive player who's finally getting a turn on the let's uh let's not go too crazy (laughs) let's say talented he's very talented okay maybe i'll (laughs) refrain from super until he's shown us more you know it depends on my matchup if i am behind by a significant amount in a week I'm going for Sam Girard, right? If he's someone that I think I'm going to need to close the gap on my opponent, 
If it's a closer matchup, I might go on the more reliable Ryan Graves because at least he's going to get me some hits and blocks. Yeah, I, I definitely disagree. I would take Graves for sure. Like, Gerard, even if he does get you an assist, that's three points. Graves is averaging 5.4. You know, like, it's just like, uh, an assist isn't even that much. Like, an average player in the Cupful is usually worth around, like, three and a half to four points per game. That's, like, a replacement level. So, Gerard, with no shots on goal, just doesn't really interest me. So, yeah, I would go Graves. But fair enough, Brad. I seed your point. I get what you're saying about hoping for, like, the really big upside, like, two power plays three power places in a game i guess it's possible i, I don't think so so okay because like tyson barry right took a lot of shots like he was doing other things aside from just getting those assists when he was helming that power play kel mccarr obviously is just out of this world yeah you don't get to just show up and collect points i get that but he's a great puck mover so i, I don't know i'm just optimistic on, on gerard on the whole as you know but your point is very well taken that if you just want to guarantee yourself the equivalent of a gerard assist most nights ryan graves will get there with his peripherals in our scoring format yeah if he could keep it up so we'll see should be an interesting week next week probably both of those guys should be taken again if makar is out hopefully this is all just a waste of time conversation because makar is going to just play tomorrow uh so yes thank you for dragging it along as long as we have okay and i want to end the abs i will just mention again grubauer we don't know the deal with him i'll just throw it out there obviously you want to grab pavel francuz or francu as i think i've heard some people call him i probably should have looked that up before the show i actually made a note for myself to do that and then i forgot so if anyone in the chat wants to give us the final answer of how to pronounce this guy's name but pavel francu uh, you want him in your lineup if uh, Grubauer is out. No question about it. He has a 931 save percentage and seven wins in 11 games. Probably near a tier one goalie right now in most leagues for as long as he's the number one goalie on this amazing Avalanche team. That might be getting even better soon if they could get Taylor Hall. Okay, so next, let's go to the Toronto Maple Leafs who had their own big outjury in Mitch Marner. He returned to the Leafs for the 3-1 loss to the aforementioned Avalanche last Wednesday. Nothing in that return game for Marner, but he did pick up two assists in the 5-2 romp over the St. Louis Blues on Saturday, bringing him to 20 points in 20 games. So yeah, Marner, he's good. Uh, like Colorado, though, the Leafs didn't get off scot-free. They got Marner back where they lost Andreas Janssen to a leg injury in that game versus Colorado. He won't even be evaluated until after Christmas, so who knows how long he'll be out. So here were the lines in yesterday's win over the Blues. They had Matthews with Nylander and newly called up Pontus Auberg. And then they had Tavares with Marner and Zach Hyman, so just like old times. Then Kapanen, Kerfoot, Mikheyev. Uh, so yeah, that, so you know, those guys are probably bottom six, not important. And then the top power play was Marner, Matthews, Nylander, Tavares, and Tyson Barry still up there instead of Morgan Riley. So here are my takeaways. First of all, Hyman and Auberg are both in great spots on lines with all the big stars. Hyman has three goals in his last two games since Marner returned. Nothing for Auberg yesterday aside from one block and he was plus one and he played like 12 minutes. So he doesn't really interest me and he's probably going to be bumped off that Matthews line if I had to guess. Uh, but Brian, Hyman, if Zach Hyman is available, is he someone you're into adding as quick as you can he had a 47 point pace last year from pretty much the same spot in the lineup do you think he could at least repeat that as a floor and maybe has upside for more if Tavares and Marner could even take another step forward with him yeah, we've been here before with Zach Hyman, right? He's in a great spot in the lineup, but you're only going to get secondary type scoring, even if he's playing with some star studded line mates. Uh, you know, you can hope for secondary type scoring, actually. These top flight minutes guarantee nothing for Zach Hyman. So maybe a hot run here and there, but for the most part, he's a streamer type of player rather than someone to hold for his deployment. 
I mean, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. He does have some hits that he throws every once in a while, so if that's useful to you. Look, his 47-point pace last year was pretty good. It's kind of like a Josh Anderson from last year, where he was really viable. He had around the same point pace. Of course, he was also taking a ton of shots, and I think hitting even more, so maybe not the perfect comparable. But yeah, Hyman, don't ignore him. And yeah, maybe if he fits into your lineup for a couple games in a given week, that's the time to stream him. But like you said, Brian, maybe not a hold all the time. Uh, and then I guess like Mikheyev, who was playing with Tavares for a bit, now that he's on the third line, he's pointless in four games. I assume we could forget about him unless he eventually maybe gets onto that Matthews line. Like, obviously, there's room for him to improve in terms of his deployment. Then we got to consider it again. But for now, Mikheyev, just forget about him. I don't know that Auberg is really going to hold on to his spot in the top six, which is what affects Mikheyev, right? We've seen Auberg get shots like this before in Nashville, Edmonton, Anaheim, and he's eked out these small spurts of relevance, usually on the backs of high shooting percentages. So I'm, I'm still open to the idea that Auberg has more to offer than he's had the opportunity to show during his career. And this would be a good place for him to do it in the top six in Toronto, but I'd have his value, uh, still just below Hyman. And yeah, it's him versus Makayev, I guess, right now for this final top six spot. You still wonder uh, who else in the Leafs lineup might get a turn in there. Uh, but Auberg and Mikhaev both have this Hyman-like upside. Except M- Mikhaev, why are you laughing? You're laughing every time I say his name. No, no. Can I just call him Soupy? No, uh, I do like that. No, I was just had this thought in my head that I just have a feeling you're going to mention Jason Spezza soon and say that he needs to get a <laughs> shot there. <laughs> no, but how great has Jason Spezza been since you've given me the opening? Jason Spezza is on some kind of role. Like, he's been on my watch list and almost on my roster for a number of occasions. Elon, do you have any idea the kind of run he's on? Yeah, I know he had some power play. He got a run on the top power play when there were a lot of injuries. Uh, He's now on the second power play. So he's definitely getting better deployment than back when Babcock was in charge. Uh, I'm I'm still not into him, but... uh, Eight points in nine games, and you're not into him. Wow. Are you? Uh, Like, you know, as a streamer, I think I actually would stream him before I streamed in Zach Hyman. Uh, He's still only seeing 11 minutes and 21 seconds on average of ice time over this stretch. He's under 10 minutes most nights. So, uh, I mean, look, not great. And he scored three times on 11 shots in nine games. So he doesn't have a lot of opportunity. Uh... I don't, you're right. Maybe that is crazy to prefer him over Zach. I guess I'll, I'll, I'll take Zach Hyman. I'd almost take Mikhaev, who I had. I could have swapped him out for Spezza. Mikhaev seems like he's stuck between being this power checking forward and a skilled guy. I was reading this article where he's having, we talked with Josh Anderson recently having this idea. Josh Anderson, by the way, the star of the show so far, even though he's done nothing and he's like no one we've actually talked about yet. Um, but Mikhaev is seeming to have the same crisis that we talked about Anderson and having, where he's like, oh, I'm actually a good scorer, but I'm known for throwing my body around and being more of a power forward type. So I think that's what Mikhaev is trying to sort out now. I was really excited to have him on my roster. I'd streamed him in a few weeks ago, uh, and then he stuck in the top six on Marner's return, saw plenty of time there, had a nice little run. Upside seemed exciting. It's like, oh, maybe this guy does have some more skill to offer than a Zach Hyman type, but it's definitely all over for the moment. Uh, Mikhaev down in the bottom six and playing 17, then 16, then 13 and a half minutes only in his most recent three games. So you can lose Micaiah from your rosters. Okay, yeah. And now let's go to the defense. Like I said, Tyson Barry still helming that top power play with all of the stars. He is pointless in five games, though, after going off when Keefe first arrived. Uh, does this concern you for Tyson Barry, or maybe just a great time to buy low on the Leafs' top power play defenseman? Like, last year, the person in that spot, Morgan 
Morgan Riley had 72 points, I believe. And by the way, how stressed out should Morgan Riley owners be right now? His power play assist yesterday from the second power play brought him to only uh, like no goals and four assists in his last 11 games. Riley has 21 points in 31 games on the season now. So that's a 56 point pace. But obviously that's falling fast after the blazing start that he had. What kind of point pace are you expecting from Morgan Riley moving forward if the deployment stays the same? Obviously, he's not going to hit that 72, but where do you think he can still hit? And also, like, for Tyson Barry, yeah, yeah, both of them, I guess. Assuming this deployment stays, what's your expected point pace for each of these guys moving forward? You know, Elon, when you assume you make a... I, well, oh. I have a long track record of not saying bad words on the show. You make a butt of you and me. And that's why in family context, I say the word but you instead of ass you. Uh, the only, so, I mean, we can't assume, assuming what's going to happen on the Leafs power play is a, is a very difficult thing to do, but let's try. Okay. And really the only thing that concerns me, you said assuming that the, the Leafs keep Barry on the top unit moving forward. And what makes it so hard to do that is that Morgan Riley is still there if the Leafs do get impatient with Tyson Barry. And I think Tyson Barry is probably more suited to the role, better experience with the role. And the coaching change definitely gives him a new chance to prove himself. And I imagine part of the idea of putting him on the top unit is to put him somewhere he can build confidence and grow into the team, right? Into his new team so that Barry can contribute better in all situations. But with every game, Barry goes without a point. And maybe with every game, Riley is also a little listless in his own offense. You just wonder how much rope Barry has left in this position, how much longer till the Leafs are like, ah, you know, we need Morgan back in there. Let's get Morgan going. I think it's an okay time to buy low on Tyson Barry, but you're in a precarious position if you're doing it. It's a very measured risk that could pay off huge or it could just lose you whatever asset you trade for him. So be careful, uh, but you can definitely shoot your shot if you want to. This is a decision I'm actually trying to make. I had a trade offer earlier today I haven't involving Tyson Barry. I haven't had a chance to think about it so hard yet, but maybe after the show, uh, so- I'll... Uh, you, you didn't answer my question at all. I said, <laughs> assuming Barry stays on the top power play, what point pace do you expect for him and Morgan Riley moving forward? And you just went on to tell me why you don't think it's going to happen. I think there's a decent chance it will. The new coach came in. He likes him there. Toronto won their game yesterday. I don't think anything's going to change in the short, short term. So let's just pretend, Brian, please do me the favor and batum with me that things are going to stay the same. What like, what do Morgan Riley owners do? Like, I just want to know what general point paces of what you're expecting moving forward. I mean, 60 points on the least top power play unit seems very viable for Tyson Barry the rest of the season. Morgan Riley, if he's off that top unit, well, let's take a look at his season as a whole first. I'm not going to give you your answer that easy, Elon. Oh my God. Uh, Riley, yeah, you're really well, making no, me work I, for it. I need to back up. I can't just say things. You know, you got to back up what you say. Fair. Support. Riley's on pace for five fewer power play points than last year, and that's not entirely because he's lost his power play role. Even in the last stint that Riley had on power play one, which was like most of the season, Riley had just one power play point in 19 games before he's moved off the top unit. So that wasn't working out. And then if Riley doesn't get those power play points back, whether regardless of where he's in the lineup, uh, so that's that dings him. And also remember that we're not expecting Morgan Riley to be a 20-goal scorer again this year like he was last. Morgan Riley has 
three goals on the year so far, which actually feels just about right. Before his 20-goal season last year, Morgan Rowley had just 31 goals in 387 career games. And of course, we raised the red flag about this on our almanac, saying that Rowley didn't have another 20 goals in him this year, that that wasn't something that was going to repeat. So it's nice when we get one right, and nice for those who listened. Uh, Rowley's on-ice shooting percentage is a touch low at 5-on-5, 7%, but really, without a top power play role, I think his current 55-point pace, probably a safe place to bet where he'll land. Still on a very strong five-on-five unit. Uh, And uh, here's where, Elon, I'll respond to your ooh. uh, 55-point pace, I will take the under on that before I take the over. It is a little high, but if you just take away some of his power play production uh, and still hope that he can get power play two production out of his numbers... I think that he won't be that far off. Like, he was really high last year. You take away a bunch of goals and a bunch of power play points, and he still lands in that 50-55 point range. Yeah, I don't recall ever... Tell me if I'm wrong. Tell me a defenseman who's gotten 55 points. Dougie Hamilton. uh, Not on the second power play? I mean, not on the top power play? Yeah. He's gotten 55 points? I don't know. I would say closer to, like, 50, and that that would be nice for the situation that Riley's in right now. But, uh, okay, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, okay. Just to clarify, 51 points for Dougie from the second unit in Calgary. That was his high. So you're right. Maybe maybe there's too little a precedent for this. I, I have a lot of belief in the Toronto offense, and this is sort of baking in that Morgan Riley could get another shot on the top unit, but I guess that wasn't the question. <laughs> so maybe I'll take him down to 50 points. It's just that his production so far this year is almost like he's already on the second power play unit. Fair. Okay. Good answer, Brian. And uh, next, let's go to the Pittsburgh Penguins. We're still in an injury. I don't even think I said what section we're in. We're in an injuries and outjuries section right now, by the way. Uh, and the Penguins have got a couple new players back. Finally, Brian Rust and Justin Schultz were both back in the Pens lineup for the Friday and Saturday games versus Arizona and Detroit. Both of them jumped right onto the top power play, along with Gensel, Malkin, and Latang. Patrick Hornquist is injured, so they're going with two defensemen. Rust also got his spot back on the top line with Malkin and Gensel. Both uh, Rust and Schultz were also pointless in both of those games, though Rust at least plus one and plus two in those games, which tells me he was on the ice for goals, just didn't happen to get in on them. So, Brian, maybe you'll mention a low IPP at some point. Um, That's probably where the similarities end. Their seasons have been going quite differently. Rust is sitting above a point per game with 17 points in 16 games, even with these two pointless games. Schultz, on the other hand, putting up a Girard-esque season with only eight points in 23 games, even getting good deployment sometimes. And tying back to the Avs, I kind of see Rust as similar to Donskoy right now. Both of them putting up big numbers for the first time in their careers from great spots in the lineup. Brian, who would you rather have moving forward between Rust and Donskoy if you had to pick one starting right now? I will take Rust ahead of Donskoy because I like his five-on-five deployment better, but we know how much the pens like to blend lines, so no idea how long it'll last. Even with that in mind, I'm still going to lean Brian Rust. Still another three weeks or so till Crosby is back, and at least that much time it is likely to pass till Hornqvist comes back too. So yeah, I'm going to stick with Rust as a steady guy who should still get that top power play opportunity. Donskoy may have higher upside, but isn't likely to stick on the top power play once Kadri is back. I guess not knowing this Kadri return timeline is really screwing things up. If I knew Kadri was back in a week, I'd say for sure Rust. If I knew Kadri was out two months, I'd say for sure Donskoy Mm. So uh, just keep an eye on whether we ever get an update on Nazem Kadri, who, as you mentioned, Elon, has now missed two games 
and we still don't know the extent of his injury. Yeah, though it is possible on Pittsburgh, if Russ continues to be doing what he's doing, you could see Schultz bumped from the top power play for Crosby and leave Brian Rust there. So who knows what they'll do. We definitely know that Galchenyuk isn't getting another shot there anytime soon. That definitely hasn't worked out well for the Penguins. At least they didn't pay too much for him. Oh, wait, they gave Phil Kessel. But they, whatever, they didn't want to keep him anyway. So they know what they're doing. Uh, also, they seem to know what they're doing. Actually, I assume they know what they're doing. They might totally not. Penns fans, let me know if you think that the Penguins know what they're doing. In Nets, they are making a smart decision of not playing Matt Murray that much. Last week, they gave Tristan Jari a couple of games on Wednesday and Friday. Two shutouts against St. Louis and Arizona. Unbelievable. Then Matt Murray got what should have been the easy start versus Detroit on Saturday. He got the win, but let him three goals, had a sub-900 save percentage. So if you have Jari on your team, which camp would you fall into, Brian? Do you hold and enjoy Jari, hope it lasts as long as it can, maybe even for the whole season? Or do you sell high before he finally lets in a goal next week and then the Penguins go back to Matt Murray? Like, If you have Jari, do you make an offer to the Murray owner? Would that be like really bold to just try to get Murray for Jari straight up? Or would that be like trading Binnington for Allen in January of last year? Like, I want to get your current take. And obviously, Agab, all goalies are bad and no one knows anything about goalies. But what's your current take on what you would do with the Pittsburgh goalie situation if you had Murray or Jari or, you know, one of them's a free agency or whatever? Tristan Jari, the new Casey DeSmith, right? We were having this exact conversation last year, except Matt Murray was injured during a stretch of it when DeSmith came in, played really well after Matt Murray struggled to start the season. We know that Matt Murray can have problems with consistency and that the guy behind him can get these huge openings to run with. And so uh, for that reason, enjoy Jari now, but I'm not sure that he's somebody you're going to be happy you held on to two or three months from now. We did chat on the patron cast, by the way, you know, speaking of just anyone playing goalie for Pittsburgh, about how the Penguins have the lowest expected goals against rates in the NHL at five on five this year, which means they're making their goalies job easier than any other goalie in the league. They're doing a great job of Uh, controlling the threat level around their goalie. So while Jari has been great, appropriate credit also due to the team he's playing behind, which can do the same for Matt Murray whenever he is ready to take another shot. Um, But also not to take away from Jari, he's been so good, like almost never bad. He has nine starts. Eight of them have been quality. And eight of them, he's posted a save percentage 931 or higher. Just one dud in his nine starts. So the door on Murray for coming back in to the crease has been shut pretty tight. I imagine things are going to turn back to Matt Murray eventually, but Jari is a must-own in the meantime in any league where goalies matter. But that wasn't your question. Uh, I would sell high if you can handle losing that goalie help for the next, I don't know, say two, three weeks. Uh, If you can look beyond those two or three weeks, I'd sell high and see what you can pull back. Hmm. Okay, so Brian, let's say you're doing well in your league. You have Tristan Jari. You picked him out of free agency. You're you're really enjoying him, but you're, you could be fine without him. And then all of a sudden, the Matt Murray owner offers you Murray for Jari straight up. Do you take the deal? I ask for more, obviously. Ah, okay, that's obviously what you do. And then you like keep on negotiating until finally they pull the offer because they realize that nothing's going to happen. And then you start regretting later that you wish you would have just taken Tristan Jari when you had the ch- or taken Matt Murray when you had the chance. But anyway, okay, yeah. Brian, I think now would actually be a really fun time to go see a Penguins game and see Tristan Jari in action. Tell with your own eyes whether you think that the Penguins are protecting him well or if it's also just him being such an amazing goalie. And the best way to do that, like I said, go to the game and see it. And if you want to get tickets for a game, why not use our friends and sponsor for this week's episode, which are our friends over at SeatGeek. There are a bunch of ticketing sites out there, as you all know, but most 
of them just so frustrating. They're, it's almost as if they're making it difficult on purpose. Like, they just think probably, so what if their site's annoying and doesn't have the events you want? Just status quo. Let's throw some extra charges on there at the last minute. Random pop-ups. Who knows? Anyways, SeatGeek, they've proven that there is a better way. They've got millions of live event tickets, a price match guarantee. You could search sports, live music, comedy, and more. SeatGeek has the tickets you're looking at. All in one place. In an industry that tends to stagnate, SeatGeek decided to stand out from the crowd. They built the fastest way to find tickets. You can stop searching for the perfect seat and start enjoying it. Okay? And, Brian, they've got, like, 50,000 five-star reviews. You know, everyone loves SeatGeek, so I definitely recommend our listeners check it out. You just have to go look at the city that you want to go to an event. You don't even have to know what you're looking for, right? You can just pick up a city. You browse through the different events. Once you find your event, let's say a Penguins game, then you you could even sort all the tickets by a bunch of different things, including by value, which I think is a really cool way to do it. And then you buy your ticket, you go to the game, you have some fun. Brian, I'm looking at SeatGeek right now for Pittsburgh. I think Dave Betton from the Stream Scheme is uh, currently residing in Pittsburgh. So he, let's say next weekend, if he wants to do something fun, he could either go to see the Kings at the Penguins on December 14th, or he could wait for the next day and go see a football game, NFL action, Bills at Steelers. Which do you think would be the more expensive game for Dave to go to, Kings at Penguins or Bills at Steelers? Oh boy, this is where I have to admit that I know so little about football, so I have no idea what kind of draws these teams are, what the Pittsburgh uh, playoff situation is, so I'm going to go... I mean, the Kings aren't a big draw. What what night of the week? This has to be a, a regular thing you need to include. Okay, today's the 8th, and I said it's the 4th. So we're talking about Saturday and Sunday. Okay, Saturday night is the hockey game, and then Sunday is the football game. I'm going Saturday night. Hockey game is more expensive just because there's so many seats for a football game, right? They can't all be expensive. <laughs> well, you are wrong, and it's not ah. even close. $40 <laughs> to see the Kings at the Penguins, $111 plus to see Bills at Steelers. But hey, how about that deal? You go see the Penguins for 40 bucks, or hey, how about 30 bucks? If you don't even want to pay 40 t- Brian, why don't you tell our listeners how they can even get $10 off their first SeatGeek purchase? Great. I would be so happy to. I'd be as happy to tell them how they can get $10 off as if they could tell me why a football ticket is so expensive. Uh, SeatGeek is going to give you $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. All you need to do is use our promo code. Download the SeatGeek app today. Use the promo code KEEPING for $10 off on your first purchase. That's promo code KEEPING for $10 off on your very first SeatGeek purchase. They just want you to try it out. They're willing to give you 10 bucks to do it. Go ahead. Enjoy. Treat yourself. Seat geek. Treat yourself. <laughs> okay. Uh, that's their slogan for the week, apparently. So I did bring up Binnington and Allen. And you know what, Brian? Uh, Binnington owners might have a little bit of reason to be nervous. He let in four goals on 11 shots before getting pulled versus the Leafs yesterday. This led to Jake Allen coming in. He stopped 15 of 16 the rest of the way. And you know what? That was actually typical of what we've been seeing from Jake Allen lately. In his previous game, he shut out Chicago, stopping 38 shots. The two games before that were also great games. One goals against versus Dallas, two goals against versus Nashville. In fact, Allen is currently sporting a 927 save percentage through nine games. And yes, I'm talking about Jake Allen, the guy who's let us all down year in, year out, finally lost his starting job, and now he's finally good. 
Who knows with goalies, am I right? Okay, so of course, Binnington, he's also been solid in his own right. He's got a 921 save percentage through 23 games. But still, over the last eight Blues games, Allen has started three and appeared in four of them. That's 50% of the games. Is it possible we're inching towards a 50-50 split or close to it in St. Louis? And if yes, would that make you into Allen in leagues where guys like, you know, Ranta, Grice, Halak have been owned all year? Or do you think this is just a weird blip and Binnington is still the for sure number one high volume starter rest of the way? Well, first off, uh, to not answer your question at all, I am just banging my head against the wall over the easy slam dunk missed opportunity I had for that seat geek uh, slogan. Seat yourself. Come on. Very good. It's too- okay. Uh, you asked me something. We about have to hockey. charge them for two ads now with all the time we've been giving them. <laughs> That's that's the trick. Uh, I think uh, so. We're talking about Allen and Bennington. Yeah, Allen's been good. I part of me wonders. The cynical part of me wonders if the Blues' primary motivation and satisfaction in playing Jake Allen is to find a team who might take his four million dollar plus contract off their books for the rest of this season and the next. The less cynical side of me is saying like, hey, maybe the Blues are uh, happy to have Jake Allen playing some games, playing well, and be someone who can help Jordan Bennington get some rest. Bennington played a lot of hockey down the stretch last year, starting 28 consecutive games from April to June in that St. Louis Blues Cup run. And then, of course, he started most of the games before that, too. But Bennington hasn't played a full NHL season yet. So uh, now we find out, like, is there a concern of what kind of load he's capable of handling? And if Jake Allen can come in and not be awful while the Blues are exploring Jake Allen's load management, uh, that's pretty helpful for both Bennington and the Blues. I don't see Jake Allen climbing all his way up into a timeshare, though, but maybe he could be the Ranta or Halak. Of course, the big difference between Allen and Ranta and Halak is that Ranta and Halak have a track record of being consistently good uh, in recent memory and beyond. Jake Allen does not. So he's not quite up there with them, but he is an interesting spot start if he does prove that he can handle a start like once every, I don't know, four nights. Well, I mean, right now, like I said, he's played four times in the last eight games, so maybe he'll play more. Yeah, I think for now I agree with you. He's like a spot start type of guy, but he might be the type of person that you bring in for a spot start. If he gets you another 38-save shutout like he did a couple weeks ago, then maybe you're deciding to hold on, and we wait and see. Like, it's not long ago that we thought Jake Allen was still going to be the for-sure starting goalie in St. Louis. And again, Bennington hasn't been bad aside from this bad game against Toronto, and I do actually remember last year in the playoffs, every single time Jordan Bennington had a bad game, he seemed to bounce back really well the next game so I will be interested to see first of all if the Blues play him on Tuesday and then second like how he responds that'll be interesting to see okay let's get back to some injuries and outjuries Uh, Mikhail Granlin has been MIA with a lower body injury for the past couple of games for Nashville which is a bummer since he was finally starting to heat up around the time that Arvidsson got injured so the injuries are piling up in Nashville with Granlin and Arvidsson out with these two top sixers out of the lineup let's take a look at the lines the Preds have been rolling out lately so they had Forsberg, Yarncroft, and Johansson, and then Duchesne, Kyle Turris, and Daniel Carr in their last game. And the top power players, Duchesne, Forsberg, Yarncroft, Johansson, and Yozy. Uh, so let's start with the good here. Callie Yarncroft continues to impress with his top deployment, and his assist versus New Jersey yesterday brought him to four goals and three assists in his last eight games. Bri, do you see Yarncroft in the Donskoy Rust conversation that we've been having? Like, he's a top line, top power by playing with Philip Forsberg. He's producing, he's almost point per game over the last couple of weeks yet he's only 11 percent owned in yahoo are we all sleeping on this guy 
We might be all sleeping on this guy, except we can't really be sleeping on him when, Elon, I think we've done a pretty good job of mentioning Yarncroc every single time he gets this kind of high-end deployment over the past few years. But the thing is that this high-end deployment is sticking. Uh, His power play time on ice has come and gone, but Yarncroc has also spent almost the whole year with either Ryan Johansson or Matt Duchesne as his centerman. Uh, So that's a really positive thing. Or, well, I'm not going to spoil the next players you're going to ask me about, but is that a good thing? I will talk about it in a second. Uh, Yarncroc's time on ice hasn't really improved over last year, but his offensive numbers definitely have, both on and beneath the score sheet. So Kelly Yarncroc should probably be owned by more people as a 55-point player. 11% owned in Yahoo, as you mentioned. 56% owned in the Kakupful, though, and that feels right. We're used to Yarncroc being a guy who barely shoots and is rotated in and out of the top six for only brief periods, but he's now taking more than two shots a game, and like I said, playing with a top flight or someone who should be a top flight centerman on any given night. So if Yarncroc is in your free agency pool, you should probably check and make sure you're not holding anyone worse than him, because there is a decent chance you're sleeping on Yarncroc as someone who's come and gone in the past as a kind of uh, boring temporary name, uh, but now has 55 point potential in what looks like a safe top six position. Yeah, and I specifically said that he's playing right now with Forsberg on the top line and top power play. I didn't mention Johansson and Matt Duchesne because they don't seem like the most appealing line mates at the moment. I wonder if they're getting close to replacement level, especially because they're centers. In a lot of leagues, there's some decent centers out there in free agency, and I'm concerned about both of these guys. Johansson is pointless in four, down to 17 points in 28 games for a 50-point pace. Duchesne, pointless in three. Uh, You know, overall doing a little better. He has a 60-point pace going, but he had that amazing start. Like If you take away his like first four or five games that he's pretty much at the same pace as Ryan Johansson and Duchesne hasn't taken more than two shots in any of his last eight games which I think is very concerning we actually had a question on our patron only Facebook group which you can join keepingcarlson.com slash patron uh, so Rob asked hey guys sorry if I missed this somewhere which by the way I always love when people start their questions like that it's like so polite and nice like it doesn't matter if you missed it because every new game there's like new information so you could literally ask the same question every couple of days and the answer might be different but anyways it was a good question so good I'm putting it on the show so he said sorry if i missed this somewhere but what the heck to do with duchene he's so impotent low shots few power play points inconsistent and no pims the leagues i have him in still have pims ffs <laughs> okay so he said he's fairly droppable right but he seems to have great deployment and potential then that made me start thinking does he have great deployment he's playing with who did i say daniel carr and and who was it uh kyle Turris. so it's not as if duchene exactly has the most amazing deployment right now he is on that top power play for what it's worth not that he's doing anything with it and then rob went on to list some centers who are available in his league uh and those included uh dylan strome jonathan taves who has three points today last time i checked uh phil Deneau, who's been good eric stahl uh nico Heeshier. so you know this isn't like a league where there's no centers available this is one where it's overflowing and so he was asking what to do with duchene i would also want to ask to you brian let's say joe Johansson was also out there. Do you see Duchesne and Johansson as above the fray of those guys I just mentioned? Or are they basically all in the same tier at this point and Rob should feel free to drop Duchesne and stream in whoever has, let's say, a good schedule out of all these guys in the next couple of weeks? I lean towards the latter, that Duchesne and Johansson in a, with guys like that available, uh, Taves and Deneau and Eric Stahl and Dylan Strom and Heeshier. I don't see Duchesne and Johansson being so far above them right now. So the question is, can they, in the long view, should we be zooming out a bit and saying, okay, but hold them because their upside is still much higher than the rest. Let's start with Matt Duchesne, who, well, first, stop me if you've heard this one before. Uh, The Nashville power play, everybody, 
on the skids. Only three goals in 41 tries in the last month. And that roughly coincides with when Matt Duchesne's production started to taper off. The good news is that unlike last season, Nashville actually deserves better than they've gotten on the power play in that stretch. So hopefully this is just a temporary blip. And for Duchesne, that means he should outdo his 15 power play point pace that he's on right now for the rest of the season. At five on five, though, Duchesne is fighting one thing the most, and that's a reduced role. He's seeing the fewest five on five minutes per night since his third year in the league back in 2011-2012. So even though Duchesne's numbers all look pretty regular at five on five and he's kept them up, like his rates and like the things we normally look to, he's lost one and a half to two minutes a night at five on five compared to his last couple years across Ottawa and Columbus. So with that list of free agents available, Duchesne feels droppable, even though he probably still has the highest upside of the whole group. But in leagues with those replacement options, maybe you can just stream between the best schedules and whoever has caught fire. I don't think you need to sit and wait on Duchesne, who even when the power play does turn around, he'd be relied on for like a 60, 65 point pace, which is great, but it's not worlds better than Taves Aal. And then for Ryan Johansson, uh, it's a similar story very similar story to Matt Duchesne, also has gone cold with the power play. It's been 11 games since Johansson got his last power play point. And he's also seeing the fewest five-on-five minutes per night that he's seen since 2011-2012. That was his rookie season in Columbus. But Ryan Johansson has one or a couple differences from Matt Duchesne in that there are a couple more dips in his underlying numbers that make me feel like his production may not climb all the way back up to last year's 66 points, lower individual expected goals and on-ice expected goals rates. And that on-ice number might be tied to to his attachment to Callie Yarncrock, not not to totally disrespect Yarncrock as a player, but Johansson has been attached at the hip to Yarncrock for the most part, and that's a that's a bit of a drop for Johansson compared to having both Forsberg and Arvidsson on his wings in past years, pretty much at all times. So if I were to let go of a Nashville sentiment first between Johansson and Duchesne, it would be Ryan Johansson. But you would have already known that because of his weak fifty point pace compared to Duchesne, who's still pacing just ahead of sixty points. So he's been cold lately, but not chopped liver. If I'm in a league, I would happily drop Johansson, but I think twice about dropping Duchesne just in hopes that he will get back on track before too long. Yeah, you would hope so. I really don't like his linemates right now, but maybe once Granlund and Arvidsson are back, things will change. Brian, I'll admit I'm in the Fantasy Hockey Podcast League, the FHPL, which is, by the way, another great podcast if you haven't heard it. And I had Duchesne. It's a league where there's no bench spots. You just like set your lineup for the week and everyone on your team plays. There's three center spots and one util. And I had been rolling with Matthews, Pedersen, Horvat, and Duchesne. So four centers with one of them in the util spot. And then I realized that, you know, I, I'm losing out on hits and blocks because I have too many centers. I wanted to put a defenseman in that util spot because it's a categories league. So just uh, yesterday... I dropped Duchesne because I didn't want to drop Matthews, Pedersen, or Besser, and I added Eric Gustafsson. But this game, this is a league just like uh, Rob's here, where there's a lot of good centers available in free agency, and so I wasn't going to wait, and so maybe other listeners will agree. Uh, so there we go. I think I agree with your sense, and I don't even know what his upside is. I guess, you know, I, I, at the beginning of the year, I was so excited about him, but I also feel like when we look at his 60-point pace overall, it really is a bit of a mirage, because it's really, like, built on, like, uh, the first week of the season, where he got, like, seven of his points, and if, if it wasn't for that week, we'd be looking at a lot lower pace for Matt Duchesne. Um, okay, let's go now to another outjury. Michael Furland returned to the Canucks for the 6-5 win over Buffalo yesterday after missing over a month with a concussion. No points, but six hits, and two 
two shots in only eight minutes and 50 seconds of ice time? That's pretty efficient use of your time, throwing six hits in eight minutes and 50 seconds. He was playing on the fourth line, but did get back on the top power play with Besser, Miller, Pedersen, and Quinn Hughes. So, hey, if you're in a bangers league, Michael Furland's someone to watch. Not, you know, I don't want people to be thinking, why are you bringing up Michael Furland? Okay, give me a player that I could actually use here. So I did want to talk about the Canucks anyways, because uh, our regular guys, they're all hot. Miller, Besser, Pedersen, Hughes, Horvat, all doing the things. Uh, but there's a couple other guys that we've mentioned before, but we just need to mention again. Tanner Pearson doing such a great job of staying relevant pretty much all season so far. He's at the top of the free agency list in a lot of my leagues in terms of when you look at the current rank of all free agents. And I keep thinking to myself, yeah, but he's Tanner Pearson. Should I add him? Nah, I don't know. I always end up adding someone else. But I wonder if I've just been waiting too long on this guy, and I've seen him starting to get snapped up in a lot of my leagues. So his assist yesterday brought him to seven points in his last five games, obviously helped by that two-goal, two-assist game versus Edmonton uh, last week. The Canucks play four times next week, so it's a good schedule. So Brian, can you explain, why am I so reticent to add this guy, Tanner Pearson, now with the Canucks having a good schedule? Feels like we're at a point where you want the guys playing with Horvat. Like, Horvat is really good. That's a really good second line. Maybe similarly is good to the Pedersen line, or maybe that's getting a little too crazy. But, like, Pearson doing well. Hey, even Josh Levo, who's the other guy on that line currently, he's got five points in five games as his other line mate. So probably also a good stream at the moment. You're talking about Levo, but first... Pearson, you're asking why you're reticent to add him. You're reticent because you're scarred from all the times we've tried to stream him as a king, and he rarely, if ever, delivered. And then there were a couple times uh, we tried to stream him as a penguin, and the same result. So these are, he's a guy, he's one of those guys who you pick up and drop all the time, just because there's always that glimmer of hope. And this time, the glimmer of hope for Tanner Pearson is that he has 12 shots in his last four games, and you know he can occasionally drop five or seven shots into your numbers, and that makes him... It kills me to say it makes him worth a look if you can get an extra game played out of Tanner Pearson this week. And then Josh Levo, it's a similar deal, really, except less upside for shots on goal. Um, You pretty much nailed it, though. Horvat is good enough to give his wingers a chance at picking up a point on just about any given night. And that makes both Levo and Pearson worth a look. Yeah, I agree. It's like it's a very exciting time now for the Canucks. Must be a good time to be a Canucks fan. Cam Robinson finally enjoying himself after so many years. Like even if we're looking in really super deep leagues, this third line of Godet, Vertanen, and Roussel, they're really clicking lately. The first two are pretty much at a point per game over the last couple of weeks, Godet and Vertanen. Uh Roussel has three goals in two games since returning from a knee injury, along with seven shots, six hits, two blocks, two pins. Plus three. I'm throwing in some of these other categories in case people are interested in them. So Dominic Roussel might be someone that you want to add right now. Again, for this nice Canucks schedule next week, especially in your bangers leagues. Probably Roussel better than Furland, even though Furland is the one on the top power player. Maybe I'm just getting too in the weeds here, talking about people who get you hits on the Canucks who are on the bottom six. But uh, yeah, just interesting names I just wanted to throw out there. A little in the weeds here, Elon. I don't even know who has Furland to drop. Like, who's making this decision? Uh, Furland's barely playing 10 minutes most nights. I meant more like you add one of them, not like you're dropping <laughs> okay. one for the other. Like, okay, which one good. If, yeah. if you own Michael Furland, you're snoozing for sure. Roussel, he plays a few more minutes a night as Furland, so that gives him some extra time to notch a couple more peripheral numbers. Don't count on him for offensive production, but he ha- has always been, so long as he's getting, you know, 12, 13 minutes a game, someone you could look to for some hits and Pims. Also, I think I said Dominic Roussel for some reason. It's Antoine Roussel. Is there another guy named Dominic Roussel? 
Yeah, former NHL goaltender Dominic Roussel. Bonus points to anybody who can name one team that Dominic Roussel played for in his nine-year career. Elon, you want to take a swing? No, how about tweet at us at Kevin Carlson, and it's on our system. You can't have looked it up. You have to just guess. Okay, the first one to get it, what do we do? Brian, we'll give him something. We'll give them a, a like on Twitter, at least. Okay. Uh, anyone who played NHL 93, 94, 95... You'll know. Okay, let me take one guess. For some reason, I'm getting a a hunch that it's the Flyers. Is that right? Do you want me to confirm? Yeah. Or not, or like, yeah? Yeah. Okay, yes. The okay. Flyers are one of his four teams. So uh, if anyone can name one of the three others, then you're even more impressive because he played more games with the Flyers than with any other NHL team combined. Dominic Roussel, everybody. <laughs> You know I pretty much like every single tweet that we get. Either like or respond. So it's not such Except a great Except if prize. they agree with me and not you in an argument we're having. I feel like that happened like twice ever. And now every time. Like a, okay. Uh, so more outjuries. Dylan Strome missed four games in concussion protocol for the Blackhawks. But he now has one goal and two assists. Two of them power play points in his two games since returning. Right back on the Kane to Brinkett line at even strength and on the power play. And actually I wrote this this morning. Chicago played today. So why not check in? on what the Blackhawks are doing. They're currently 3-3 in the third. I'm going to guess that we're going to see a Dylan Strome point here. And I am incorrect. No points <laughs> so far. Oh, well. Jonathan Tay is a goal and two assists. Debrinkit has a goal. Oh, well. But anyways, Dylan Strome looking really good. <laughs> Up to 20 points, I guess, in 26 games. Now, he still has time to score a point in this game. People listening tomorrow will be able to confirm if I was correct. Uh, so that's a 66-point pace going into today. Only four power play points somehow. And to me, that's actually interesting. Like That makes me think that's a number that's going to improve if he's on the top power play with these great players. So why is Dylan Strom only 33% owned in Yahoo? Seems like a clear own at the moment, in case I'm missing something, especially with Chicago playing four times next week, just like Vancouver. Why would you not want Dylan Strom on your team? Dylan Strom's power play numbers weren't actually all that great last year. He was pacing for just 17 power play points in Chicago from their top unit. Right now, he's on pace for 13 power play points. And yeah, maybe he should be in the 15 to 20 range instead. But I'm not expecting so many power play points from Strom that his 63-point pace that he's carrying right now climbs all the way up to like a 70-point pace. That's also because some of Strom's 5-on-5 production may not hold. Uh, So I think that 63 points right now uh, which is what he's pacing for, on the whole, pretty fair to Dylan Strom. So I'm not about to say he deserves a whole lot better than he's gotten. Okay, but even with what he's gotten, that's a 66-point pace, which makes me think he should be owned in more leagues. So I don't know, tweet at us. If you have Dylan Strom in your free agency, I'd be very interested to know who you have on your roster. I feel like there might be someone to drop. Like, I don't know, Brian, Like, are Agreed. you not as into Dylan Strom as me? Well, you said 66-point pace. I said 63-point pace. I just want to make sure we're on the same page. Oh, well, that's because I you're counting today's game, which isn't over yet. So we'll have to wait and see. Uh, okay, then another guy getting good deployment on Chicago right now who may be available in your free agency is Eric Gustafsson, who's been back on the top power play for around three weeks now, ever since that healthy scratch. And that was even before the Duncan Keith injury. Uh, Gustafsson has three assists in his last six games, two on the power play. So nothing too special. But again, Chicago has four games. Uh, next week. So maybe it's time to throw a chip on Gustafsson and hope for two or three points next week. Like he still had that great year last year. So it's hard to completely forget about it, especially now that he's back at that deployment that he had last year when he was doing so well. 
Yeah, exactly. And now is a really great time to take a chance that Eric Gustafsson can reclaim his season. If he's been dropped, get on it. Gustafsson is seeing more than a 70% share of power play time over his last eight games. So Chicago clearly giving him a second chance in that spot. So you should too. Okay, and now I'd like to... There's still a few more injuries I could bring up and outjuries like Konechny, like I said, got hurt for Philly. We don't know. Uh, Bertuzzi got hurt for Detroit yesterday, but apparently he's going to be okay for Tuesday's game. Patrice Bergeron may be back tomorrow. We all know what to do with Bergeron when he's back. You play him, of course. Uh, but anyways, we'll let the short shifts, guys. Ben and Lewis will take care of anything interesting that comes out of the first couple of days of action next week. Brian, next I want to get into some line combo talk. We've got... This is like probably the most nebulous segment of the show where we look at interesting line combos that may not even exist anymore by the time someone actually listens to the episode but there's a lot of weird stuff going on around the league and i want to get into it but before we do that why don't we take a second if you're listening to the show right now at this point maybe last week it wasn't updated yet at this point if you look at your podcast app you should be seeing our brand new beautiful logo for the podcast we had a whole rebranding so you're seeing our very cool logo with the two k's and the the, the, one of the k's that the line is like a hockey stick i'm not good at describing this stuff wow. but it, you can look at it so you don't need to have me describe it and these logos were designed by brandon weeb who's really amazing and not only did he design this logo he also designed uh the stream scheme logo which you should be subscribed to by the way keeping carlson.com slash stream scheme you'll find a link to that in our show notes also the stat attack with marcus he designed that logo the short shifts logo he even gave us another one last week brian and i did a patron cast which was a lot of fun we answered the patrons questions for over two hours i really actually had a really good time brian we hadn't chatted in a while, so it was also just fun to catch up a little bit, as well as talking fantasy hockey. And we got a really fun logo there where Brandon incorporated our old Keeping Carlson mullet, mullet head, just for old time's sake. So if you're a patron, you could also see that cool logo that he made. And so yeah, I want to take a second to thank Brandon for that and point out this guy. He's a freelance graphic designer. He specializes in logo design and event branding. He works with different sized businesses, sports teams, and organizations. He's been a patron for Keeping Carlson for a while, so we really love this guy. And you know, this guy, graphic design, location isn't a barrier. You could hire him from anywhere in the world. Brian and I never even met him, and we got all of these great logos from him for a very reasonable price. Elon, you mentioned all the logos he's made for our shows, but the one that most people might be familiar with, uh, he designed the WHL Swift's current Broncos home and away jerseys logo and patches. Those are jerseys that were ranked as the 95th best jerseys of all time from all leagues in the whole world back in 2015 by the Hockey News. So uh, Brandon's got chops and those chops are just growing with, of course, all the beautiful logos you see. Oh, he also won the Home Base Business of the Year Award in Swift, Current Saskatchewan. I'm not sure what the competition is like for that, but <laughs> I am sure that Brandon could have beaten out the toughest. So you can see all of Brandon's work, including our entire podcast network branding. You should just download, like subscribe to the podcast and see them that way. But if you want to see more and that Broncos jersey, 95th best jersey ever, go to his website, brandonweeb.com. That's B-R-A-N-D-O-N-W-I-E-B-E dot C-O-M. Uh, and you can also get in touch with Brandon through brandonweeb.com. Again, B-R-A-N-D-O-N-W-I-E-B-E dot com or uh, at Brandon Weeb GD on Facebook and Instagram. If you want to go ahead and get a free estimate or quote, see if he's a good fit for you. And a good news promo for Americans. You save 25% on the cost due to the very sad Canadian dollar, US dollar conversion rate. But it's great news for you. 
It's funny, Brian. Like, I think that the concern about spelling out the name was the weeb part, W-I-E-B-E. I think everyone knows how to spell Brandon. No, there's some other... Brand- Brandon can be spelled all kinds of ways. There's two N's, there's a silent J. <laughs> okay. Maybe, like, people couldn't hear if you're saying Brendan or Brandon. But anyways, yeah, check out his website, brandonweeb.com, and if you need any graphic design help... He will be there to help you, and you you know you're going to get good results. Okay, Brian, like I said, I want to get into line combinations now. we got to start in Calgary. Bill Peters is out. Interim head coach Jeff Ward is in, and he is just going bananas. I feel like he's just taking all of the na- player names and putting them in a boggle game and then shaking it up and then seeing where they land. In yesterday's 4-3 win over the Kings, we saw Mikhail Backlund centering Johnny and Monty, and then Lindholm centered Kachuk and Mangiapani. Hopefully, this tinkering will work out for Gajo and Monahan owners like yourself. Both seem to be heating up lately, five and six points in the last six games, respectively. Are the Calgary top line concerns behind you right now, or still top of mind with all of the shuffling? Like, Gajo, don't forget, like earlier in the week, he was playing with Lucic for a game. Like, things were really weird. Uh, you got to imagine one good thing that might come out of all of this is that Sean Monahan might get left wing eligibility if, Mac- if Backlund's going to be centering that line. So that would be pretty nice. So, Brian, what are your thoughts on Gajo and Monahan with all this tinkering? Do you think that this is good news for them or bad news? And also, how about Mikhail Backlund as a streamer for as long as this setup holds? He's got four assists in his last four games calgary plays four times next week so pretty good time to grab mikhail backland as if it hasn't been a hard enough season to own calgary flame studs like gaudreau and monahan to see them do so badly for so long and then all of a sudden just being shuffled around like crazy my goodness i don't know what's happening with these lines and if they'll stick but as an owner of gaudreau and monahan i couldn't be happier to finally see them get going whatever it took and the less lucic i see with gaudreau by the way the better so you know i'll happily take backland as the guy there between sean and johnny and then you look at elias Lindholm on the second line now he gets to play with matthew kachuk and if i own Lindholm, i'm feeling a little unsatisfied by all this. Lindholm is kind of a tenuous guy. Uh, he's been this way his whole career, and it seems so delicate to move him from the one and only place Lindholm has ever produced, which is alongside Gaudreau and Monaghan. So you have to be worried that he won't quite click away from them, though, of course, it can't get much worse than it has been for Elias Lindholm. He had 51 assists last season, has now gone 12 games without picking a single apple, just four points, all goals, in the last month. And... By the way, like this is not to say Kachuk is not someone who can get a player going. This reflects much more on Lindholm than it does anyone else. I'm just scared of Lindholm being anywhere that he hasn't succeeded before because, well, we've seen him be super, super quiet. So we'll see if Kachuk can help get Lindholm off the schneid. Yeah, or maybe uh, the th- lines will get tinkered around with again, and we'll have Lindholm back with either Gaudreau or Monaghan or both. So, Brian, who would you be more concerned about at this point, Elias Lindholm or Marcio Dono? Because I think that's an interesting development in the Flames game yesterday. They gave more power play time to Rasmus Anderson, a defenseman on the team, than Mark Giordano. So perhaps Gio's spot isn't as safe as we thought it would be. Like, this was a game against the Kings. They got the win, so that makes you think maybe they're going to want to keep up what they were doing. That's usually the rule of thumb that I use when I want to try to figure out if the lines are going to stick or get changed. Uh, I Like, it would make sense 
sense for Giordano to potentially lose some power play time. He's mired in a slump of epic proportions. He has a sad one assist, which wasn't on the power play, in his last 11 games played. He's been super quiet. But what should we Giordano owners do at this point? We both have him in the cacuffle. Do we hold and pray? Or do we dump him for whatever we can get before it becomes clear that his spot is up for grabs and he's not going to come anywhere close to those epic heights that he had last year? And then also, who is this Rasmus Anderson guy? Is he, like, what is he doing? Get out of my life, Rasmus Anderson. But since he is in my life, should he be on our radar with a potentially huge deployment bump? Kind of reminds me of Gustafsson, who took over from Duncan Keith last year. No one really thought that would happen. And then we saw how that turned out. So, yeah, what are your thoughts on Giordano and Rasmus Anderson at this time? And I think I did actually start this thing by asking you who you're more concerned about between Lindholm and Giordano. So you can answer that first. Okay. Uh, I am more concerned about... I don't know, whoever stays in weird deployment for longer. I guess Giordano... Boring. Uh, so sorry. Okay, let me try and have a take here. I am more concerned about Elias Lindholm. I think it's more likely that Giordano gets back onto the top power play than not. Uh, even though Rasmus Anderson has done a... Uh, like, he's earned his way up here, right? He's gone from a third-pairing rookie to a top four, occasionally top pairing guy, uh, and 20 minute a night sophomore. I feel like this could have been as much of a a test or reward for Rasmus Anderson, especially like the test angle is for those who think, you know, his name is getting constantly tossed out in trade proposals for the likes of Taylor Hall. Uh, maybe this is where the, the Flames want to see, oh, what do we have here? How does he look on the top power play? I don't know that Giordano's spot is really up for grabs. Definitely a situation worth watching, especially for Giordano owners like you and I, Elon. We know Giordano is soon to be sunsetting, right? He's not going to play forever. And Calgary at some point needs to take a look at their own personnel to see what they have as replacement options. So maybe uh, it's like, hey, Mark, you're struggling. You need a break. Let's see what else we've got. I don't know that the Keith Gustafsson is a like a great comparison just because Keith had already tailed off pretty hard by the time Gustafsson came around. And I don't think Giordano is like has fallen off that way yet. But the analogy is not totally lost on me. Uh, teams desperate for a defenseman, fantasy teams desperate for a des- defenseman, could do worse than taking a fly on Rasmus Anderson and seeing how much play he gets on Calgary's top unit. I'm hoping it won't be long. Hoping maybe against hope. Elon, who would you uh, count most on bouncing back between Giordano and Lindholm? I'll agree with you. I'll say Giordano, though. Like I, like you said, it might be just a bias, and it's more of my hope seeping in. But Giordano just had such a great year last year, and also he's been good for a while. And also, like, Rasmus Anderson, come on. Who are you? Who is you? So we'll wait and see. Yeah, I wouldn't be like rushing to add Rasmus Anderson yet, but definitely put him on your watch list and see if this holds. Like this wasn't even the whole game, right? It was like mid-game. It looked like Rasmus Anderson started getting on the top power play. So let's see how the next couple of games shake out in Calgary. Okay, next let's go here, Brian. I've got a speculative ad for you to consider that I think you're gonna like. Uh, Carolina has been sporting a top line of Aho, Teravinen, and Nino Niederreiter lately. So Niederreiter finally showed a sign of life yesterday with his first point in nine games. He assisted on one of Aho's three goals. Aho, by the way, had a five-point night. This guy's on fire. So you probably want a person playing with him on his line. Is it time for people to start at least watchlisting Nino again in case this deployment sticks? Any chance of a run like what happened at the end of last year? Is that possible? Or has Niederreiter pretty much burned all of the bridges and you don't want to touch him at this point? You know, if you didn't bring up Niederreiter tonight, you know I would have. And I was very happy to see Nino get up with Aho and Tara Vinen and was going to race out to add him after I saw that he got an assist. Uh, I wrote in my notes, picked an apple from the tree of Aho. That was too good to not. Uh, so clever. Whatever. That's brilliant. Uh, 
Nah. Episode uh, title. That's going to be the episode title. It has to be. No, it's terrible. <laughs> okay. Uh, oh, yeah, okay. Uh, anyway, so I was going to race out to add him, and then I saw that Nita Ryder played a season low 11 and a half minutes in that spot, and I haven't been able to find any info about that. I wasn't watching the game. Sorry, everyone. So uh, if you have intel on if Nita Ryder was hurt or benched by a mistake or, or what the heck happened, uh, and, like, I'm looking for an explanation other than, yeah, the coach only wanted to play him 11 and a half minutes, because I, I really wouldn't be sure what to make of that. But if you're wondering whether he's worth adding to your lineup, it really depends on how many bottom end players you have loitering in your lineup right now. If you've got a lot of them, this is time to maybe just drop one who might not help you anyway. Take a chance on Nita Ryder getting this opportunity and holding it. But if you see that he's playing less than 12 minutes for another game or two, uh, you could probably be pretty quick to let go. Yeah, like Carolina plays Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday next week, a boring schedule. Tuesday's probably a super busy day where you might not even fit Nita Ryder into your lineup, even if he was available. So I think watch this game against Edmonton. Maybe, Brian, you could actually tune in and see how many minutes he plays and then decide if maybe you want to get him for Thursday or maybe a sneaky ad for the following week. Like He's definitely on my watch list on that top line, but like one assist isn't going to make me just jump for him. Though Carolina did win the game 6-2 to two against Minnesota, so maybe that means that it's going to stick for a little bit. Then uh, Andre Svechnik so he gets bumped, I guess, from Aho. So he's been playing with Jordan Stahl and Warren Fogle in the last couple of games, which might seem like a demotion, but Sveshnikov just seems like so good. He's just doing well no matter who he plays with. If anything, maybe now's the time for another classic Jordan Stahl hot streak, playing with Sveshnikov and also getting top power play deployment with Aho, Teravine, and Sveshnikov and Hamilton. Stahl has assists in two straight games. It's alive! Like, you know how it goes, Brian. Jordan Stahl goes quiet for like two months and then he gets a point per game for two months so who knows if this is the time but I think it's very possible playing with Sveshnikov and being on the top power play that Stahl is going to have a nice December so he's someone I might be into in fact I might even be more interested in Jordan Stahl right now than Nino Niederreiter especially in your multi-category leagues what do you think who's more int to you at the moment between Stahl and Nino uh, Nino is more int to me on the top line though Stahl is probably roughly equally uh, interesting like, I, you know, both of them could go on a run. I guess Stahl is the more stable one who you know is going to get his deployment wherever he is. Uh, and Nino is the one who could just totally fall off the face of the earth. So Stahl is probably the safer bet. But I am really hoping, really hoping, since I have uh, been since the start of the season, that Nita Ryder could stick with Aho and Teravainen. Hmm. Ryan, you got to think with your, your head and not your heart here. I think Jordan Stahl is the clear answer, but... All right, all right. Uh, and then where you was... want to do a little a little bet for the week on who does better? Just this next week? Sure. Okay, what's okay. the bet? Order a pizza to ship it to the other person's house? Yeah, okay. Let's bet a, a pizza. All right, a pizza delivery. I mean, when I said shipped, it makes it sound as if like I'll send it from Toronto to your house. Like, I'll call a place in Ottawa and get that to you. But it's not going to happen. You're going to be ordering me a pizza because I like Jordan Stahl better than Nita Ryder for next week. So this will be fun to follow. I feel like we need to make our bets more like one-week time spans. Otherwise, we're like guaranteed to forget about it. Or when we do find it out at the end of the year, it's like, eh, whatever. Who cares? I don't even remember why I was into that guy. So well, I'm writing down this bet next to where I wrote down the last bet. Do you remember what that was? Obviously not. It was Kevin Shattenkirk, 40-point pace from November 10th onward. Do you think you're winning or losing that one? I don't even know what side I picked. <laughs> you picked over. I picked under. And how's it and, looking? And uh, you're destroying right now. He's on a 55-point. He has eight points in his last 12 games because he's getting – he got three power play points uh, recently. So good for you, Kevin Shattenkirk. 
making Elon right. So I'm not I'm not happy about it. Wait, but I'm happy for you. Don't say it like that, Shattenkirk. No, it's I'm right because I was smart and I knew I saw him doing it all year long and didn't have a reason for him to slow down. Like, good for me for being right about Shattenkirk, I think is the way you want to say it. Well, that. you're not you're not right yet. Let's see what the next 50 games have to say. Ah, oh, too bad. We have to wait. Let's make that. A, let's put a pizza on that one also. Let's just get a whole bunch of my wife will be probably mad at me because it's not very healthy to just eat pizza all the time. But I do like these pizza bets. Uh, Brian. Where was Dougie Hamilton yesterday? Uh, Carolina scored six times, and Hamilton had zero points. He's actually pointless in three straight games now. Is there any concern here about Hamilton, or is this just like the minorest of minor blips? 14 shots for Hamilton in those three games, including a night where he played 27 and a half minutes. As Admiral Akbar never once said, it's a blip. Okay, very good. (laughs) Terrible. That was awful. Are you watching that Mandalorian show on? Uh, I, d- I don't even know what a, what that is. It's on Disney Plus. It's a new uh, streaming service. I don't know Are why. Are they I'm, paying for this? They're not paying for this, but I'm just curious if I should watch it because I, I wasn't planning on buying it. But it's like a Star Wars show. So I don't know. I might watch it. Tweet us at Keeping Carlson and let me know if I should watch <laughs> Mandalorian. I'm curious to know. One of the patrons said I should, but I feel like I need to be sold more. Because I'm not like a Star Wars super fan, you know? But I do. You know, they're pretty fun. Apparently there's a baby Yoda in there. Does that do something for you? It sounds like a, like a Mandalorian, like a DeLorean from Back to the Future. Oh. But it's a man. And that's why you're interested in watching. I would definitely be into a Back to the Future spinoff or, or TV series over a Star Wars one. But we take what we can get here at Keeping Carlson. So, uh... Uh, we're in line combinations, but I'm going to throw in goalie tandem talk here. So this is kind of like a line, the lines for the goalies. I don't know. So Linus Allmark has, I think, taken over as the number one goalie in Buffalo at this point. He started seven of the last ten Sabres games. Actually, not including today. I could bring up what's going on today. Buffalo is playing against Edmonton right now. Buffalo is currently up two to one. And yeah, it is Allmark in net. He's having a good game. So we'll see how it ends. Yeah, I think this is pretty official. Like, it's like three weeks now that Allmark's getting almost all of the games. He hasn't been that good. Sub 900 save percentage in five of his last seven starts before today. But Hutton has also been bad. He didn't do himself any favors letting in six goals on 30 shots versus the Canucks yesterday. Is it for sure time to drop Hutton all over the place at this point? Like, if he's a bad goalie and he's not even getting close to 50% of the starts, why do you hold on to this guy? And then also, is Allmark worth a pickup right now? You know, even if he's not doing well, if he's getting most of the starts, maybe he's like in the Anders Nilsson category where you're risking your stats when you play him, but you are going to get a volume starter and probably on a better team than Ottawa. The Buffalo tandem is turning into like how we've treated the Edmonton tandem in recent years and the Detroit tandem this year, for example, where neither guy seems capable of holding a job. Uh, and so you can't really, you don't want to roster any of them for any length of time. I and mean, that's a shame because Buffalo is providing their goalies with top 10 protection this season so far. Thanks to that improved decor. Unfortunately, uh, all Mark Hutton cannot take advantage. This is a team in the Sabres that may be a goalie away from moving up a notch in terms of their level of contention. I don't know that goalie is in the organization. So I think all Mark and Hutton are just going to keep taking turns doing half decent and then blowing it and continue being generally unreliable. And I don't know that either one is really worth spending a long-term roster spot on. The best you could hope for from either a nice run or two where they heat up and look great, and that's possible. So if you're adding Buffalo goalies and you want to play that game, just hope you get lucky and catch them at just the right moment. I added Linus Allmark to my team today just to, like, oh, maybe if he has a good night tonight, I'm, I'm going to lose my week this week. Uh, but if... Allmark has a good night tonight, then maybe he'll have a good week next week. So far, well, I'm not going to jinx it, but he's doing pretty well. 
Yeah. And by the way, Brian, uh, I think it's like beyond that. Like you're giving generic advice for a team where you don't know who the starter is going to be. Like I said, I think this might have already been decided. Like it's been a while now of Allmark getting the majority of the start. So I think definitely Allmark is the guy until he blows it. And even if he does blow it, I don't think Hutton can do it. So anyways, my one question, which I think you're agreeing with, is drop Hutton all over the place, right? No reason to hold him in any league. Yeah. Goodbye, Hutton. Bye. Bye! Okay, uh, Dallas has... Uh, you're probably getting tired of me bringing up Dallas every week. I'm just gonna... I wasn't planning on it, but, like, Alex Radulov got benched on Thursday, and then he came back to play yesterday, and he played on a line with Pavelski and Hints, and he responded with a goal and an assist to break a four-game pointless streak. Uh, so, yeah, I don't really want to get too deep into Dallas talk right now, but I'd imagine you're still optimistic about Radulov, even with the scratching, right? This might be one of those cases where it was supposed to teach him a lesson. Apparently, he was taking a lot of bad penalties, and Montgomery wasn't happy with him, and... And now he's back probably for good and hopefully might even start improving on his weak start to the season. You know, I almost root for players to not play well after their bench just to so you they can't the coach can't feel justified if they come back and play well. You know, Kyle Torres recently had a great quote. He missed seven games as a healthy scratch. Then he came back, scored a goal and an assist. And, you know, he's asked how it felt. You know, how do you feel about having sat and then played? And his quote was, I felt like I played the exact same game I would have played if I didn't sit seven straight games. And I feel like that's a really good point. Like, way to go, Kyle Torres. Rub it in their faces. I just feel like a great coach, someone who by definition should be one of the top 31 coaches in the world, should have some other tools in their toolbox aside from scratch the star player. You want to hold players accountable? I guarantee you that the team's worst players are not being held to the same standard. Whenever the top stars get punished on a team, you know something is broken there. And we know just from watching Dallas that something is very broken there. Fire the GM. Fire the coach. Let's start fresh already. Okay, so you're saying fire everyone but Alex Radulov, who I'm guessing you're saying you yeah. still like. You like that, yeah. Radulov. I want to scratch the coach for a game. Can we do that? Maybe that'll motivate him to coach better. Okay, so <laughs> I'm going to read into this and say that you like Radulov. What about Rupe Hints, though? Is Rupe Hints' season over? Like, after, he had that great start there. He was like, the only player producing on the team, it seemed. He now only has one point in his last seven games, has already fallen to just over half a point per game on the season overall. Dallas plays Tuesday, Friday, Saturday next week, so he's definitely a tough hold with only one game over the next four days, and that being on a busy day where you probably won't even play him in your lineup if you, ha- if you have other hotter players. So is it time for people to let go of Rupe Hints if they haven't already? Is he a snoozer hints is still on a great line and on the top power play and it's not on him that he's like yes he's snoozing right now so you might be able to drop him i just wouldn't count on him to snooze the rest of the season especially like with that schedule elon that's another reason a great reason to maybe consider dropping him just for the week if you think you can get him back right now i'm saying it's not hints fault because dallas lo and behold in another rough patch just 10 goals scored in their last six games tyler sagan is pointless in five of those six games game. So you can't expect a whole lot from Rupe Hintz when the whole team is once again broken. I am so over this Dallas team. Hashtag scratch the coach. <laughs> okay, I will point out that when you say that Hintz is on the top power play, it looks like they're going to even units like Sagan, Pavelski, Hintz, Ben, Haskinen, then Radulov, Perry, Yanmark, Gurianov, Klingberg, or if it's not two power plays that are kind of even, that means John Klingberg has been bumped from the top power play. Yeah. So keep that in mind. That's how I see it, actually. I think the power play with Sagan is the top power play. And, like, there's more than Sagan on that power play with Hints. So I think Radulov is stuck on power play, too, right now with John Klingberg. Okay, so then you're not so into Radulov right now. Or does that not bother you too much? 
I'm just bothered in general okay. by how he was scratched. I'm still very much into Radulov, except if he's, if he's in the coach's doghouse, he's in the coach's doghouse, and there's nothing you can do about that until the coach has changed. I feel like this is coming from someone with the luxury of not owning Radulov in your fantasy team, so you could just sort of, when I ask you about him, you could just be like, yeah, scratch the coach, hashtag, you know, <laughs> okay. and it's like, if you had Radulov, you'd probably have like this deep dive into why he's struggling. But anyway. Uh, no, he's he's done it. We've already done it a bunch of times this season, for sure. Yeah, the same reason hints in all of Dallas is struggling. Something is wrong there. If I'm going to put myself in the mindset of a Radulov owner, I'm just going to try and put my head down and get through this rough stretch and hope that there's sunshine on the other side. I'm not giving up yet. Fair enough. Okay, and let's end the show with some hot streaks and cold streaks. Just some fun to end the show. Mostly even hot streaks, because that's what everyone loves. And we've already talked about a bunch of struggling players. So now let's see who we might potentially want to add in if we do decide to drop these guys. So Brian, how about we play a classic Keeping Carlson game of Sustainable or Fleeting, where I'm going to tell you some players and their recent production, and you'll say if you think they can keep it up. I want to start with Alex Tuck over in Vegas, who has four goals and three assists, three of those seven points on the power play. In his last four games, games and that was after a seven game pointless streak uh vegas is playing tonight and they are currently getting shut out by alexander georgiev of the rangers which is also by the way georgiev's third straight start so as a side conversation georgiev's looking really good and maybe like a tristan jari situation over on the rangers that's kind of been going under the radar but anyways alex tuck Aside from getting shut out tonight, had been red hot. Uh, he's up playing only on the third line with Glass and Carrier, but top power play with Carlson, Marcheseau, Riley Smith, and Shea Theodore. Stasny not doing much lately. I wonder if a line shakeup could be coming, especially after like this shutout tonight. So who knows if Alex Tuck maybe gets a promotion soon? Like I don't even know if this bottom six thing is necessarily going to last long. Also, Vegas has a nice Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Sunday schedule next week. So two off day games, four games overall. What do you think about Alex Tuck? Do you think what he's doing is sustainable or fleeting? And of course, when I ask it, I don't mean, is he going to get seven points in four, every four games? But you know what I mean? Like, is he worthy of being rostered in most leagues like he has been over these past couple of weeks? He's on the fringe, right? Tuck is a good guy to look at for those Friday, Sunday games this week. And I do like that he's picking up power play goals. That means he's someone who gets to pull the trigger on that top unit. I definitely don't love how little time, though, Alex Tuck is seeing it five on five. If Vegas doesn't get a whole lot of power play opportunity in a game, Tuck is stuck at about 13 minutes a night. So uh, that makes me a little uh, reticent to be interested in him when I know he's really reliant on those power play opportunities to produce. Oh, and since you were talking about Georgiev, uh, just very briefly, these are the number of saves he's made in his last five games. 38 33, 45, 31, and so far tonight with five minutes remaining against Vegas, he's stopped all 37 shots. If your league values saves, Georgiev is your guy. He's blown it a couple times recently, but he has not blown it. More often than not, seven of his last 10 appearances have been really strong at 938 or higher. And when you're facing pretty much at least 30 shots a night, as many as 40, 47, uh, that's gold in a league that's going to reward you for that. So Georgiev seems like a guy worth being rostered. He's now started three of the last, well, no, let's go further back, five of the last six 
Rangers games. Nope, four of the last five Rangers games. Yeah, to be fair, I think Lungfist was ill, like he had some illness, and that's why he sat out an extra game. So it's not only because the coach decided that Georgiev earned this job, but like he has earned these starts. And yeah, let's see what happens next week. Georgiev th- does kind of still strike me as someone that could be in the Nilsson category of like he goes really hot and then totally blows you up and ruins your week in one bad game. But that said, it's hard to ignore the run that he's on right now. And like you said, Brian, with all of these opportunities for saves, even if he has like an average save percentage game that's still good for like an elite like a couple where you're getting like 0.35 for a save and negative two for a goal against it's adding it adds up that you end up getting positive points even if he doesn't only stops and say five of 40 that's still a positive game for Georgiev so yeah looking really good and over on Vegas you're not so into tuck but a little bit which I think is reasonable I didn't have this planned but by the way what do you think about like Paul Stasny like I got into him because he went back onto the Mark Stone line I thought that would be great you know, great news for Stasny. He should get back to producing. He's doing nothing. He's now pointless in six games, assuming that he doesn't get a point in the last, like, five minutes of this game versus the Rangers today. Even before that, he wasn't doing much. He had a goal in two straight games when he got on that line, but now he's going cold again. I feel like it's just a matter of time before he gets dropped. I feel like even with this nice Vegas schedule next week, it's really hard to keep holding on to Paul Stasny. You think it's time for us to just tell people to let him go, or do you hold him for one more week because of the good schedule? So let's say they do shake up the lines, Elon. What do you think is going to happen? Do you feel like Stasny gets to stay on the second line? Because line three is rolling right now before this 5 nothing loss that looks like is about to happen. So do you think they're going to mess with that? I don't know. It, like, it's hard to say, but like Stasny hasn't held this before. And I think one of the reasons Stasny gets bumped down is to shore things up. Like it's not necessarily Stasny's fault that they're losing. Maybe they think that they want to get a good, you know, all-around player in the bottom six. So I don't know. I'm nervous. And I'm worried about Stasny. I have him in the cupful. I added him like a couple weeks ago, specifically because I saw that he had two weeks in a row coming up with four games in each of those weeks. Now I don't even know if I want to hold him for next week, even with this good schedule. You know, also, by the way, Mark Stone. I thought this guy was supposed to be a big superstar that we're so excited to get anyone playing on his line. He's well below a point per game at this point. And yeah, just not very interesting at all. Like, I think that maybe we were a little wrong about Mark Stone. Maybe what he was doing on Vegas, like at the end of last year before the playoffs, where he kind of struggled for a bit, but then he like turned it around in the playoffs. Maybe that was actually the real Mark Stone and we just didn't see it. No, Mark Stone is great. How dare you? (laughs) Yeah, sure. Okay, 24 points in 32 games so far. So very uh, disappointing, to say the least. Okay, uh, let's talk about a bunch of Tampa guys, okay? Everyone on Tampa's hot right now. By the way, guess who streamed in Alex Killorn for his big one-goal three-assist game over the Sharks yesterday in the Cacupful? That's right. This guy and Killorn, like, I was looking at him when I was deciding who to stream in. I was looking at, you know, a whole bunch of players who were playing yesterday. And I saw that Killorn, even before that game, he's been having a really good season. I think the best Killorn season so far. Like, now, after yesterday's game, he's up to 22 points in 25 games. That's a 72-point pace. It was closer to, like, a 65-point pace before that four-point game. Obviously, Killorn won't keep this current run up, but is what he's doing sustainable enough to be rostered in most leagues? He missed a couple games with injury, but when he came back, he promptly bumped Anthony Sorelli from the top power play, where Killorn got two of his points yesterday. He's playing at even strength with Sorelli and Matthew Joseph, but we know how often that changes. And also, hey, top power play on the Tampa Bay Lightning is really good. And again, just like someone we were talking about before, like Killorn is getting in on these points. I think it was Donskoy, right? It's not as if he's on the top power play just hanging out. Killorn seems to be somewhat of a focal point. He's been getting power play points whenever he's there. 
He has been. And, uh, you know, like, I want to give you a really great answer about Tampa's secondary scoring and where the points are going to come from. But Tampa Bay officially has the least predictable secondary scoring in the league, right? If it's not, you think it's this guy, and then it turns out to be this guy, and then it turns out to be this guy. It's like whack-a-mole trying to add the right Tampa Bay Lightning player. The good news for the Lightning is that someone is always seeming to step up at a key time, which is fantastic, but it's very frustrating for fantasy owners. And I wish they'd be a little more compassionate about us. <laughs> the one thing I can say about Killorn is that he's probably the guy who has the best track record of putting up numbers for the longest stretches. He's done, like, if you look back at all the history of all these Tampa streakers, he's the one who has done it the longest, the most often. So way to go, Alex Killorn, for doing that and possibly teasing us right now into thinking you're going to do it again. Yeah, and hey, Tampa, four games next week, including Monday, Tuesday. So you could always stream him in at least for Monday and if you have room for him on Tuesday and then reassess after that. But I'm loving him right now. Obviously, I was thinking of only adding him for yesterday. Now I am holding on. I'm going to see how this goes. Other guys on Tampa, though, doing well. Anthony Sorelli, who I mentioned got bumped from the top power play, hasn't stopped him from getting like five goals and seven assists in his last 11 games. He's been amazing. Tyler Johnson, three goals, one assist in his last four games. He's playing with Stamkos. Andre Palat. For some reason, he only has one goal, no assists in his last six games, even though he's probably getting the best even-strength deployment, playing with Point and Kucherov. So that just goes to show how frustrating it is, like you said, Brian, to try to predict what's going to happen with these Tampa players. What At this point, are all four of these guys in the same tier for you, like what, what you just said before about how you have no way to know? Or have Killorn and Sorelli like, broken into a new tier with their recent success, where you definitely say, those are the guys you want, maybe even Killorn more than Sorelli, because he's the one who I have, and then Tyler Johnson and Palat are more of the replacement-level guys? The difficulty is that they all have to look out for each other, too. Like We just saw Sorelli look like such a great guy, and then he's bumped by Killorn, and someone else could come for Killorn before the next game or two. It's a fool's errand trying to pick the Tampa complimentary player who's going to have the best game week or even year. But if I had to rank them, I'd go Kaloran, Sorelli, Tyler Johnson, and Palat, which means you should probably value them in the opposite order. <laughs> no, it, you're definitely right, and Kaloran should be number one, and let's not say anything otherwise to jinx it, because I really want Kaloran to keep going. Uh, okay, next, uh, let's talk about Phil Deneau. Oh, actually, we have a question in the chat here. Matthew's saying, uh, chance for Curtis McElhaney to steal stars if Vass continues to uh, have poor play? Probably not. I mean, like, he'll probably get a start every once in a while, but Tampa's paying Vasilevsky a lot of money, so I have a feeling they're going to give him a chance at every possibility. Well, there's that, and there's that. McElhaney has not been good. He hasn't been used a lot by Tampa, like once every four games, maybe, which is honestly a little less of a load than we thought, but maybe that's because he's been, uh, I mean, 908 is okay in today's AHL, but just a 43% <laughs> quality start number. Uh, so that's that's pretty bad. Uh, he's been unreliable, to say the least. Uh, like a couple average starts, a couple really great starts, and a couple really stinky starts. So maybe they try and, like, there's a back-to-back. That's a perfect opportunity. But I don't think he's about to start stealing starts. Unless they want to rest Vasilevsky, which they have shown no... Uh, inclination to do well they can't because tampa's currently i don't even think in a playoff spot so they need to go with their best chance to win they don't have the luxury of just starting to be able to rest their goalies for the playoffs uh yeah like like you said tampa does have that back-to-back monday tuesday though they play islanders on monday and you'd guess that vasilevsky will play that game because islanders are a tough team and then florida tuesday florida is known to blow up some goalies so i don't know i don't know if that that might not even be a great game for McElhenney, but good luck matthew i hope it works out for you uh so then we've got phil to know again goalies who knows 
house. And I keep saying Phil to know and then going back to talking about the Tampa Bay. But just saying, like, with goalies, you can't predict it. Might as well grab McElhenney and see how he goes for that game. And then you'll stream to someone else. Uh, Deneau has six points in his last six games for the Habs, up to 23 points in 30 games overall on the season for a 63-point pace. What does this guy have to do to get above his sad 21% ownership on Yahoo? Like, I feel like he's getting points almost every game, and I never see this number rising. So, Brian, is what Phil Deneau's doing, 63-point pace, is that sustainable or fleeting? Clearly, people think it's fleeting, because no one wants to add him. You know how much I love Phil Deneau, and how much I want to say that this is all so, so real, uh, but it's not. Phil Deneau is shooting 19% at 5-on-5, even though his shots have not increased in danger, and in fact, his shot rates have dropped Uh, By a little, not a lot, but a little. So all this to say, he shouldn't suddenly be pacing to have a a career high in goals as he is now. He's never scored more than 13 in a season. He scored 12 last year. That's the pace you should expect from Deneau the rest of the way. Remember that this is a guy who doesn't get a lot of power play time. And he doesn't shoot a lot either. He gets a lot of assists, though, on like Brendan Gallagher and now Thomas Tatar Gold. So 63 points is a little rich, uh, but 55 points is still a safe expectation for him. All right. I guess so. What? A lot of people on Yahoo are using the new advanced stats tab and <laughs> doing the research that you are to decide not to add him. That's why he's still 21%. I've got him in Kakupful. I keep thinking I should probably drop him, but I'd rather just hold him and drop Paul Stasny at this point. Deneau is very ownable. Like, I've been making this argument since preseason. Deneau should be owned in all leagues. Like, he should definitely be up above the 21% that he's at now in Yahoo. I'm sure Skakupful ownership is much higher. Yeah, we didn't get that from Marcus today, though. Of course, if you subscribe to the Stat Attack podcast in the show notes of every episode, you get a link to the spreadsheet, which oh, it, it's so amazing, guys. Just trust me. Keepingcurls.com slash static attack. You don't even need to be in the cupful or even know what I'm talking about right now. It's a really good podcast and you'll definitely want to check it out. And you do get a link to a spreadsheet, which has a bunch of data, including the cupful percentage ownership. Uh, okay, so Brian, I promise I'd stop talking about Nikita Gusev for a bit because I've brought him up on like the last three shows, even though he does have three assists in his last four games and two on the power play but promise broken how about his line mate blake coleman who i somehow got out of free agency in the couple this past week from the tier one sweden division somehow blake coleman got dropped and he even like sat a free agency for a couple of days i streamed him in for friday saturday looking like a season-long hold to me like this guy's overall average points per game in our scoring 4.35 beats out a good majority of my roster including trocek max domi eric stahl to Zach Cassian, Mark Giordano, like Coleman's ahead of all of these guys. He has two assists in his last three games since the coaching change. Oh yeah, Heinz is gone, Nezardin is in. I guess we didn't bring that up officially. We talked about it on the Patreon cast on Wednesday. But Coleman has five, five, and seven shots in his last three games. He's, I guess, getting those sweet feeds from Nikita Gusev, right? And he also, three plus hits per game. He's just, you know, producing across the board, showing that he maybe even has the potential to score some goals, right? Like I'm saying two assists in his last three games with 17 shots. In other situations, you'd expect maybe one or two of those shots to go in, and we'd be even having a more exciting conversation about Blake Coleman. I like this guy. Also, if Hall leaves, I wonder what that does to the Devils. Maybe that improves the situation for guys like Coleman, maybe Gusev, who get an increase in their deployment. Obviously, it would be bad for Palmieri and Heeshear, but maybe good for some of these bottom guys who will have to step up. So yeah, I like Blake Coleman. What do you think? Blake Coleman 
is doing what he did last year to make himself relevant. And so it's nice to see him shooting and hitting and pointing to get back up to these heights last year. You might remember that Blake Coleman had two great stretches where he was almost a point-per-game player, once in November, once in January, but was awfully silent the rest of the way. So this season, Coleman is having his hot November again. That's blood a little into December, but I don't think it's sustainable. His IPP shooting percentage, on-ice shooting percentage, all too high at 5 on five, and that's even with him having started out the year doing nearly nothing on the score sheet. So Coleman remains a good guy to grab for hits and shots, especially while he's hot and the points are coming, but in leagues where his peripherals aren't rewarded, don't get too attached to Blake Coleman. And as I'm sure you've noticed by now, Elon, I'm not biting on all these what if Taylor Hall comments you're making. Uh, you, you know me, right? We talk about a trade when the trade happens or when there's a real great source. Right now, it's a lot of smoke uh, so maybe there's fire. I don't know. If Hall does leave the Devils, though, it won't be, I imagine it won't be before our next episode. Maybe that's the uh, the death knell of Hall as a Devil. But uh, Gusev, Simmons, Wood, Jesper Bratt, Bokvist can all play left wing. So take your pick for the one person that Gusev. benefits. Uh, but it hurts all the Devils as a whole. You re- Yeah, I know you want to make Gusev happen this year. I think it's it's already starting to happen. Maybe you just haven't realized it yet. Uh, that's why when you're telling me the season-long numbers for Blake Coleman, it's like, who cares? He wasn't playing with uh, the new and improved Nikita Gusev, who's now learned how to play in the NHL. By the way, for anyone hoping that a new coach would mean new life for P.K. Subban, nah. Okay, Sammy Vatnin, three power play points over his last four games from the top power play. He's not going anywhere. Subban is now pointless in 17 games! And he saw a season-low 18 minutes and 20 seconds of ice time on Saturday versus Nashville. This guy's 74% owned on Yahoo. That's 74% of leagues that have an owner who is snoozing big time. I can't imagine a reason to hold on to P.K. Subban at this point. Go grab Vatnin, for sure, unless you're worried about plus-minus. He's producing Drop Subban. He's done. Yeah, more like P.K. Snoozeban or P.K. Sue ban him from your roster. The <laughs> knives are coming out, too. There's all sorts of, like, garbage being written about him in the press now, which is a shame because I don't know that he deserves, like, whatever these other, like, non-hockey tangential criticisms are and uh, where they're coming from. Awful. But we should, like, I want to... I want to give PK still some credit that in the 20 plus minutes he'd been seeing to this point, he really was doing a fine job of keeping the offensive numbers in his team's favor. The, the Devils were relatively better off with him on the ice than without in shot attempt battles and expected goals and all the usual variants and percentages for his own numbers not going his way. So I still like, I don't think he's done, but he's decidedly off the top power play. And if anything, he's losing chances under his new coach than gaining them. So the outlook for Subban is not great. Do not own him. Yeah. Uh, drop him for Vatnin if you have that opportunity. That's an obvious swap. So, uh, okay. Uh, Detroit. Robbie Fabry, I think he's for real. Or at least the Detroit version of Robbie Fabry seems to be for real. I really hope he'll be able to stay healthy the rest of the way because that's obviously been one of his big problems. But he's got three goals and one assist in his last four games from his spot on the top line and top power play with Dylan Larkin. Two points yesterday versus the Penguins. This is a team, Detroit, where everything seems to be a mess. But Robbie Fabry seems to be doing well regardless and maybe even helping Dylan Larkin get back on track. Detroit plays four games next week. Seems like as good a stream as any and potentially a season-long hold to grab Robbie Fabry and see what happens. Obviously, we'll need to reassess once Mantha is back. But for now, he's getting great deployment. He's producing. What more do you want? Fabry is cleaning up the stink from his past uh, efforts of not 
really succeeding in whatever opportunities he's been given by getting finally a shot on the power play where uh, in this run that you just brought up, Elon Fabry has three of those four points that he has recently coming on the power play. So that's good for him. And he makes for a good stream, but keep in mind, may not be a guy you want on your roster long past Mantha's return, which you essentially already said. Yeah, so we'll wait and see. And again, if plus minus is counted, that's obviously another reason for concern. But I hate even saying that, because don't play in a league where plus minus is counted. It's annoying. Yeah. Okay, uh, Scott Lawton. I don't know why I'm bringing up this guy, but I have to say some names of people who are doing well, Brian, just so you could swat it away. Or maybe you'll surprise us. But he's been playing with Hayes and Farabee on Philly. And Lawton had one goal and one assist yesterday versus the Sens, giving him four goals and two assists in his last six games to go along with some big hit numbers. Maybe a Blake Coleman light. If you can't get Coleman, maybe you go after Scott Lawton. And by the way, or, you know, if you're not caring so much about the peripherals, maybe you take a look at the centerman. Eight points in ten games for Kevin Hayes. So maybe Maybe he's not done just yet. I mentioned that Konechny was injured earlier, so probably worth watching and seeing if guys like Hayes or JVR get back into decent deployment if things get shaken up and Konechny's out for a bit. By the way, huge bummer for Konechny, who has had injury troubles in the past. I really hope that he's not hurt long-term because he's having a career year and I wanted to see how it would shake out. Uh, So yeah, what are your thoughts on some of these random Philly names? Specifically, I guess, Scott Lawton and my comparison to Blake Coleman with some points and the hits. Uh, you know, like the hits are definitely there and the points with Hayes and Farabee, that's not a bad line to be playing on. And Lawton's ice time has actually been creeping up this season. He started in like the 15, 16 minute range then dropped to like the 12, 13, up to 14. And his last three games, he's played 17, 17 and 18 minutes. So that's nice opportunity. He's also scored four times on, let's see here, two, five, seven, eight, eleven 11 shots, which is not a sustainable uh, way to keep putting in offense. However, if he gets to play, uh, he plays a lot shorthanded, so that's why he's having these high minute counts. Uh, but if he gets to play a little more often at five on five with Kevin Hayes and Farabee, he will occasionally pick up a point, but I wouldn't expect a whole lot from him. That's not really his jam. Uh, Scott Lawton, he's been in the NHL a while, even though this might be one of the first times you're hearing his name. Uh, he's like a 30 point type of player. I'd say he's like a Tom Wilson who doesn't get to play with Alex Ovechkin on the top, in the top six. I love how like that's it. Like Tom will, like you're such, a, you're still insulting Tom Wilson here for no reason. Like you're like, <laughs> It's basically the same situation. Wilson just happens to be playing with Ovechkin, so that's why he's yeah. getting, like, a 65-point phase. <laughs> yeah, okay, fair. I thought we already discussed this, and you said that you're over-hating on Tom Wilson, but I guess not. Doesn't mean I'll stop. Okay. Uh, by the way, Shane Gossesbeher has been getting turns on the top power play again lately. He had all yes. those, he had those healthy scratch games, but he now has three goals and one assist in five games since those scratches. Still low overall ice time, which concerns me. Only 15 minutes and 28 seconds versus Ottawa yesterday. But... You know, gotta mention it. He's probably been dropped in a lot of leagues, and there there may be a reason to add Gostas Beher at some point next week or in the near future if he's back on the top power play. So, what do you think? Would you be looking to add him in leagues where he's available at this point? I'd be I'd be keeping an eye on him. It depends on how desperate you are. If I'm saying don't rush for Gostas Bear, then you know that that shows just how low I've become on him. And one of the reasons I'm so low and not getting excited about this is he's still not taking shots in this run uh, in in this last five games where he has these three goals and one point. He's taken just six shots, which is not what we want from Shane Gostas Bear. We want what he did in his like second and third year in the league when he was getting. 
almost three shots per game. Uh, and that helped him to these big point totals and big power play contributions. I feel like he's not going to get there uh, only taking one or two or sometimes zero shots per night. So that's why I'm still reluctant to give up anything of value to give Goss to spare another shot on my roster. Yeah, but if you want to stream him in, there's obviously that upside from a couple of years ago, which is probably all gone, but he could do something. I'd, I'd take him over P.K. Subban at this point, for whatever that's worth. And Philly, actually a decent schedule next week. Wednesday, Saturday, Sunday, so two off-day games. Uh, Matthew's pointing out that Lawton was a stream scheme pick. Dave, obviously that's what the show is, the stream scheme, where he looks at the next week's schedule and tells you who you should be adding for next week as someone who might be available and give you a lot of games played. Brian, does the fact that Dave called Lawton a stream scheme pick, does that make you more into him? <laughs> Or less. Uh, extremely. <laughs> like, now I'm in. I'm actually going to drop all my players and add Scott Lawton in every roster spot just because Dave said it. And, like, I would if I could. I'm not being sarcastic. I trust Dave. He's the best. Stream scheme. <laughs> okay, well, now you're going too far. I mean, he's fine. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, there's a lot of shakeups on the Rangers. Like, they had this great game today, 5 nothing. So I wrote this, obviously, before I saw this result. But I think whatever they were doing is probably going to stick for a while because a huge win over the Golden Knights. And yeah, in Friday's 2-1 loss to the Rangers, uh, we saw mid-game Panarin and Zibanejad got back together to play with Capo Kako. So that's a very exciting spot, first of all, for Zibanejad to get back with Panarin, and then for Kako to get with both of these guys. That's huge. And then they were going with Kreider, Strom, and Fast. So let's see the lines today. Anyways, I'm over at Dauber Hockey here, Frozen Pools. And yeah, we got Kako, Panarin, Zibanejad, Hedl with Kreider and Strom, and then Buchnevich with Brett Howden and Brendan Lemieux. So first of all, yeah, forget about Buchnevich. Uh, probably, I don't know, Ryan Strom, I want to say kind of forget about him. It's not as good as Spock. He's also off the top power play. They've been going Kako, Kreider, Panarin, Zibanejad, and D'Angelo. But that said, Ryan Strom did have two assists today in this game versus Vegas, though that's probably the kind of situation where it's a good news for you if you're a Strom owner, because that means you could try to sell high, because I am not expecting him to keep up his amazing pace if he's going to be away from both Panarin and Zibanejad. That's not a really good spot for him to be in. It's not, but what's even the point of saying that? Because the Rangers are a team that seem to change their lines every period, let alone every yeah. game or every three games. So Ryan could just be back. Like, it's impossible trying to predict. So you just have to decide if you want to be on that roller coaster with Ryan Strom or if you want to try and get off and what price you're willing to pay for that. No, I mean, like, the fact that it's a roller coaster is another reason just to get off even while he is with Panarin. Yeah. He's right now, uh, I, if I do the math here, 25 points. He's on a 74-point pace. So, like, that's crazy. Trade him for Dylan. Trade him for his brother. Oh, yeah, I like that. Or maybe you could shoot even higher, though. Like, yeah, yeah, I definitely would be taking a look and seeing what you can get for Ryan Strom at this point, because he is not going to keep up that pace if he's away from the big names over on the Rangers. By the way, uh, Anthony D'Angelo, man, keeps getting points. So all the Rangers defensemen, actually, in this game, I'm looking at the uh, box score here. Every single defenseman on the team, except for Smith, got an assist. <laughs> so uh, what are you doing there, Brandon Smith? Like, <laughs> get in the game here. He's doing what he's always done. Elon, I wonder if you could trade Ryan Strom for the next guy we're going to talk about. That might be an interesting deal to make. Well, probably not. I don't think you'll be able to get Jacob Verana because he's super hot. He's got nine points in his last seven games. He's up to 27 points in 31 games on the season for a 71-point pace. So why would anyone... Like, why? how would you pull that off? Well, Strom is on a 74-point pace. Yeah, so Verana... 
Oh, okay. So he's on a one more point. Pace. You're giving up three points in the deal. Fair enough. But yeah, Verana, like I said, 71 point pace. And I like this, right? Is this for real, Brian? Is this sustainable or fleet? Oh yeah, I forgot we're playing sustainable or fleeting. You haven't been saying the words. We got to keep our branding up. But yeah, with Backstrom expected to return uh, to the game tomorrow, Monday, that means the practice lines have shown Verana playing with Kuznetsov and Oshi, so it's been Lars Eller for a while. Not that it's bothered Verona. Verona's still getting points, but probably it's even better to have Kuznetsov back, so things could only be better for him, and yeah, I'm curious to know if this 71-point pace, you think if he could keep it up. I am going to label Jacob Verona and his production as being sustainable. I think he can really pull this off. Verona ranks second in the whole NHL in 5-on-5 goals scored. Uh, so he's not getting a lot of power play deployment. So he can't take advantage of that. So it's not fair to use that as his measuring stick. But he's sandwiched between Marchand and Pasternak in five on five goals, second in the whole league. And that's not luck either. Vrana is also ranked fifth in the NHL in total expected goals at five on five. And a lot of the guys ahead of him uh, or all the guys ahead of him have played more minutes than he has to accumulate these total expected goals. So if you uh, control for time played and use rate stats per 60 minutes, Verona ranks fourth in the league in expected goals per 60 minutes behind none other than third place Austin Wagner? What? Uh-huh. Elon, can you even name what team Austin Wagner plays for? Nashville, right? No, that's oh. Austin Watson. Oh, oops. Who's that? <laughs> Austin Wagner plays for LA. Right. Course. Yeah, we knew that. Uh, anyway, look, uh, Jacob Rana, he might be for real. He's also third in shot attempts per 60 minutes, sixth in shots on goal per 60 minutes. And that's obviously thanks to some of these huge heavy shooting games he's had recently. Four shots against NIM in his last game uh, held to nothing against LA. But the three games before that, four shots, five shots, nine shots for Jacob Rana, the nine shot game. He played a season high 20 minute. So I'm loving what I'm seeing from Jacob Vrana. The name that comes up alongside his in a lot of these like different ways to rank players according to their offense is Brady Kachuk and Brendan Gallagher. Just this guy who's creating like throwing a lot of pucks on net and in a dangerous enough way to make them count. So it's so nice to see that Jacob Vrana finally looking like he's realizing this potential that we've thought he's had. Uh, he's raised his shot rates by almost a third. He's increased his threat level by just about 50%, just blowing his numbers from the previous couple of years out of the water. It's so nice to see him emerge. He is this year's Timo Meyer. Damn. Okay. Great job, Verona. It's hard to get Brian to call someone sustainable when they're on this big hot streak. So I like it. And hey, if you say that he's putting up similar shot rates and is ranking similarly to Gallagher and Brady Kachuk, that probably means you should expect more from him, right? Because the thing with Gallagher and especially Kachuk is they don't play with like the most amazing centers. And I know I was just drooling over Philip Deneau before, but obviously it's a bit very different to be playing with Kuznetsov. So Verona's in a great spot. He's producing. So yeah, if you have him, Hold on. Don't trade him for Ryan Strom. Uh, one more here. Uh, Christian Dvorak, six points in his last six games going into today. And Arizona did play today against Chicago. So I can give you an update here. Dvorak, another assist. Look at this guy. Point per game. He played also 20 minutes today. Six and a half on the power play. So he's getting good deployment. He's producing. He also takes face-offs and has winger eligibility. And I know that's really huge for people in leagues that count face-offs. Because basically you could get face-offs from all your centers and even from a winger if you have him so Dvorak doing well do you think this current run of production is somewhat sustainable is he going to be relevant in most leagues especially these face-off leagues 
I'm going to go fleeting for Christian Dvorak. It's oh. so sad. I would have liked to to end the show on such a positive, optimistic Verana note. And now we have to talk about Christian Dvorak, who got a couple of those points he's had in this recent run. Thanks to having an increase in his power play role, a couple of those points came on the power play. Dvorak is now up to six power play points on the year, which is now just one off his career high of seven power play points from his sophomore season two years ago outside of those power play contributions. I'm not seeing a whole lot to tell me that Dvorak is any better this year at five on five than in past years uh, when he's picked up about 30 points at even strength. So I guess if you're still looking to see where he's going to pace even after this run, I still think 45, 50 points is reasonable. Uh, His ceiling is definitely higher, but not seeing any signs yet that he's ready to break through. Okay, I guess that's fair. We were kind of into Dvorak going into the season, right? We said that this might be the year for him to finally break out. Now he's doing it. Now you're saying, eh, not too exciting yet. But Yeah, well, nothing's really changed under the hood. We were hoping he could get more minutes, a step forward, have consistent power play deployment, and neither of those things has come true. All right, fair enough. But definitely Adam Cheer watch list at the very least. Like these yeah. players getting points every game. Brian might not be 100% correct, or maybe he'll just be able to keep it up for a little longer before things come c- crashing down. Don't forget, he is on Arizona, and generally they are a team that you don't re- want to rely on for a lot of offense. Uh, Brian, okay, we're not done yet. We're done the sustainable or fleeting segment. We're basically done the show, but I want to introduce a new segment to end the show. This is called Elon's Hunch of the Week. So I hope I'll remember to do this. Every show, I want to throw a name at you of someone that's not necessarily doing well, but just someone i've got a gut feeling that things are about to turn around for them and you should consider adding them in your leagues you know a preemptive ad and my hunch of the week this week is josh anderson my hunch is that we are on the precipice of josh anderson becoming useful in fantasy once again just like last year he was toiling on the fourth line for most of the season but yesterday he started the game versus florida playing with bjorkstrand and boone jenner which was a lot better than who he was playing with before and then after emil brenstrom got hurt Anderson ended the game on a line with Dubois and Sonny Milano. So there you go. Potentially top line deployment moving forward for the next little while. Anderson has only two assists over his last five games, but he's gotten back to those big shots on goals numbers from last year that we were all excited about. 19 shots over those last five games. Also, I've got this tweet here from Allison L, who's, I think, a beat writer for Columbus. She's verified, Brian. Don't worry about it. And it says, it wasn't a typical Josh Anderson, but he tilted the ice more than any other Columbus player tonight. So she was excited about what he was doing in yesterday's game, and she included a nerdy chart, you know, with a bunch of different colored hexagons and circles, the kind of stuff that you you understand. But apparently it meant that he had a good game. Then another verified person on Twitter, Shayna, responded, Josh Anderson's season starts now. So if Shayna and Allison think that Anderson is going to do well, plus he's getting those shots, plus he's getting the deployment, I feel like this is all the nice little stew that's going to turn out to mean Josh Anderson is going to have a big week next week. Maybe Torts likes Anderson again and our 45 to 50 point friend with 200 plus shots on goal upside and two plus hits per game maybe our friend is back to help us the rest of the way i would love that i would love nothing more than for josh anderson to come back i remember you were telling me like a month ago you can't believe he's a free agent i should add him i'm glad i didn't but now might be the time to give him a shot if you want to get out in front of it he had seven shots two games ago against the rangers played a season high or not season high but one of his highest minute games most recently 17 and a half minutes total a lot of that was thanks to a shorthanded role but still josh anderson getting time getting new deployment and if you look at his numbers nothing's changed from this season to last except the percentages that are going against him his ipp shooting percentage 
on-ice shooting percentage all abysmally low. And these are numbers that bounce around just with fortune. Uh, He's still putting, like, the things Josh Anderson can control, he's still controlling them very well. His expected goals rates haven't changed. His shot rates haven't really changed. So uh, I'm with you, Elon. Now could be a really great time. Although I could have said the exact same thing two weeks ago when these numbers were identical. They just still haven't reversed yet. But they're going to reverse. (laughs) Well, now I like the deployment a little better. So we'll see if that lasts. Okay. So there's the hunch of the week. Let's see how that turns out. And Brian, with that, we've made it to the end of the show, all of our content. So uh, I really hope everyone's enjoyed everything we've brought up. And we'd love to hear from you. Tweeted us at Keeping Carlson. Let us know what you thought of the show and if you took any of our advice. Or tweeted us if you didn't follow our advice and you thought we were wrong. We love counter arguments. Yeah, for sure. So that's at Keeping Carlson. Also, another thing we love are reviews on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast help. You know, you don't necessarily have to do much for us. We're doing a lot for you. And if you want to do something for us, one thing you could do is give us that five-star review. And we have said that anyone who leaves us a five-star review that we see. And if you ask us a fantasy question in that review, then we will answer it on the show. Doesn't look like anyone took us up on that this week, though we did have a really nice review from Overrated1234, and thankfully that's the person's name and not his description for the show. He said, great show. And then they said, a great show, except everyone else in my league also listens to it, so I'm not the first one to hear the episode. Your suggested ad drops are sometimes gone. <laughs> Love it. So, thank you for still giving us the five-star review instead of trying to bury us so that no one else will listen. And I will mention that if you are interested in maybe getting ahead and knowing what players we brought up without having to listen to the two-hour show, uh, we do have a perk for the patrons of Keeping Carlson. So again, $5 a month gets you everything we have to offer, uh, including membership in our Facebook group, our patron cast episodes, the bonus Saturday streaming episodes done by members of the Keeping Carlson network. So there's a lot of stuff. You can check it all out, keepingcarlson.com slash patron. One of those perks is access to our weekly show notes so brian and i you know aren't doing this off the top of our heads we're actually reading this from a document that we prepared for the show and on my side i have you know everything i asked brian i actually bold all the players names so if you want to do a quick you know skim through to see what players might be added by other people in your league you could just skim through and take a look and then if there's a player that you find interesting look on brian's side of the notes and you see what he wrote about that player and if he thinks that player is going to actually do well or not do well you know you could just see his answers in advance so another potential perk for you to consider if you want to become a patron keepingcarlson.com slash patron and again thanks for that five star review we love those as well but Brian with that I'm blabbing and blabbing and blabbing so how about I cue the outro music and you can go ahead and read us the credits all right this episode of the keeping carlson fantasy hockey podcast was presented by dauber hockey and powered by our patrons including our newest one nicholas tyler and michael welcome aboard thanks for your support you keep shows coming uh this episode was researched with help from dauber hockey prison pool dauber prospects natural statric evolving hockey cap friendly charting hockey hockeygoalies.org hockey reference hockey viz hockey database elite prospects and roto world and yahoo Great job, as always. Brian, looking forward to doing this all again with you next week. And in the meantime, everyone should definitely go ahead and get more content because you're going to have our Short Shifts episodes, two of them before our next show, plus Stream Scheme, plus Stat Attack. Hope you're liking it all. And Brian, I will talk to you soon. Until then, keep on keeping Carlson. Carlson.